You're listening to the Fire in the Hole podcast with Richard and Jason, available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. If you like the show, you can help us out by supporting us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. If you want to be a guest on the show, or you want to get in touch, drop us a line at fireintheholepodcast at gmail.com. That's fireintheholepodcast at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. Today on the show, we've got Jason's friend, Hugo Levesque. Uh, Hugo joins us to shoot the shit about movies and pop culture stuff. Uh, talks to us in depth about his former career in the restaurant industry. And talks to us about that time he met his idols, Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris. So without further ado, here is one hell of a guy, Mr. Hugo Levesque on Fire in the Hole. It's true that some people define God as pure consciousness or as being synonymous with the laws of nature. Uh, but if we talk about consciousness and the laws of nature, we won't be talking about the God that most of our neighbors believe in, which is a personal God who hears our prayers and occasionally answers them. So I just want you to be sensitive to this, because if Michael or I say something derogatory about Islam or Christianity, which seems possible, <laughs> uh, the, the response from the other side shouldn't mention quantum mechanics. And, and, it, and it shouldn't reference a, a, a notion of God that is so denuded of doctrine as to more or less be synonymous with pure mystery or pure information or pure energy or pure anything. collect junk and they sell it back to white people and this is my favorite one and they live in a van <laughs> <laughs> and like clearly they're mexicans <laughs> wait this is jawas yeah, yeah out there like little brown dudes that talk fast yeah no but the living in the van fucking killed me because i immediately pictured the that like sand crawler <laughs> fucking dying <laughs> i was like that's the best joke ever how has no one made that joke yet that's true because Star Wars has been fertile. Yeah, and it's not the first time that people use the the material. The fr- I remember the first time I heard somebody fucking with the material from Star Wars. It was Clerks. I was in, oh, yeah. yeah, ironically, well, unironically enough, I was in the video store. And I heard, like, there's a black and white movie that's playing in the back. And they're talking about Star Wars and how the third one is so tragic because all the their contractors died trying to build that second oh, yeah, star, yeah, yeah, that yeah. star right, faster. Right. And then I'm like... What is this sorcery? <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. That was a really good. Uh, That's the first bit of any of Kevin um, Smith's, Kevin uh, Smith's Smith. work I've ever heard, and I've more or less been a fan. like I don't like or love everything that he does, but I I, I find him to be a very very uh, interesting guy, a great storyteller. Yeah, I don't find him to be a very good filmmaker, but that's just my personal he's, take. On he's it. got he's very hit and miss, and yeah. usually he hits when it's this little world that he created for himself i feel he should have written a show like i i feel like a not a sitcom but you one know of those like uh, showtime or um uh, hbo or whatever and like just keep that going because a lot of his banter it's banter based stuff it's people having conversations when they're bored sitting in front of the 7-eleven or the ihop or whatever 
Um, <clears throat> but in terms of story structures, there's never anything much that happens in his movies. You know, it's never really. Although Red State, I don't know if you saw that one. I did, and I was. Uh, was that any good? Well, the ending is funny. Like it's, it's, I don't know. Is it like a three act movie, like beginning, well, middle, and end? The I, I don't know. Do do we do spoilers on this show? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Especially right. for movies that are over a decade old. I think we're good. Is it a decade old? I don't maybe, think, maybe. I don't it's several decade. years. Like seven? Yeah, it's oh, eight. Yeah. If it's more than well, one or two, I think we're I good. Think Essentially, yeah. it's the it's like a weaponized version of the Westboro Baptist Church. Okay. And, uh, like, I mean, it, it kind of, the, the thing is that he's fucking with many genres. It kind of starts like a horror, like a, a psycho horror movie where a church, like, is capturing, like, teenagers who are trying to, like, have sex to kill them for their sins and then it kind of turns into a cop movie because they're trying to bust them for the crimes that they're perpetrating and at the end it just takes this weird tangent at the very very end okay. which took me by surprise so much that i was like i i'm yeah that's was yeah that was interesting it was interesting it was interesting what's that uh uh were you the one reading me the review of the um Oh no, it was a friend of the friend of mine. One of these animates, uh, Totoro, my friend Totoro, or something like that. And the, the the review of it is like no plot, no beginning, no ending, no middle, no explanations, no hero, no uh, messiah, no villain. Best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> 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 it's like it it just it just like it was like this movie that just like fuck you to any convention in cinema, which I think you can do. But the thing is often. Um, it takes skill to break the mold, right? Before you can, I feel anyway, do a really creative movie like that, you have to have the three act format down pat, you know? Like, uh, and I feel like a lot of times what happens is somebody will tend to want to have their own unique voice and then so they'll go for eclectic or like fuck you, weird ending or twist this way, twist that way without ever completing the the first level, you know? And so their movies are always interesting, but they're always kind of, uh, they, they, they're lacking. You never get really invested in the characters. You never. Yeah. And that's a big thing for me. If mm. I don't care about the character, you can have the best movie in the world. I'm just not going to click. Yeah. I mean, you're just like, why am I here? Yeah. And, and you just killed everyone off. I, I don't and, care. And it gets into what I've always said, like that there's great masterpiece that I've just hated and there's garbage movies that i love because mm. at the end of the day i can recognize like that requiem for a dream is a good movie but then again i wouldn't give it the time of day a second it took me four sittings yeah. to finish it the first time around. wow I, I don't know anybody that wants to see that movie a second time <laughs> but <laughs> loves it no, no, not even. four sitting not four times like, okay i would go like in four 40 chunks. minutes and i'd like Ugh. i need a break yeah okay and i'm like i gotta i gotta watch i mean no, I agree. Yeah, uh, was it uh, we went to see uh, Alien Covenant? Mm -hmm. Was a perfect example of a movie coming from a guy who's a master, but yeah, tri tripped over the wires and kind of he, he can't seem to just give us a plain one, two, three. He can't get there. He he gets caught up in his own like you can almost see him like by the moonlight, sort of. Uh, you know, talking to himself and monologuing about how great this scene was and what, what what it'll mean. And you're like, yeah, well, you forgot to get, let us get on board with you first before you can take us to your magical I don't know, place. man. I'm one of the rare people who like the one you did just before. So. Prometheus. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what because, you were saying. And the reason why I liked it 
is because Richard's like ducking under the table like a <laughs> saloon guy in the in the 19th century. It's like, oh boy, just, oh no, here it comes. <laughs> just hear me out. Hear me out. <laughs> all right, all right. You're out. the guest. You get to yeah. you get to do this. It's my expectations clock. were so <clears throat> abysmal. I was expecting just a shit show. Of Prometheus? And then, yeah. Okay. And then I'm like... Why were you huh? expecting a shit show? Because everybody shut it down like you guys did. Oh, okay. So you saw it after everyone. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Because I didn't watch it at first because I like people like, this is garbage. And at some point you get around to watching it. And I'm like, huh? All right. That has in the past... I don't know for you, Richard, but that has worked for me sometimes when everyone else has trashed it. You come in and you're like, hey, it wasn't that and bad. The, the mm-hmm. opposite yeah, happens sure. too. What's that Tom Cruise movie? The, like the feud, like it, it's a, based on a manga or an anime or something. It's uh, repeat, like it's Groundhog oh, Day. Uh, um, One tomorrow, tomorrow something. Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Mm. And I, Good memory. people are built up that movie for me. You, this is Hugo Levesque. Oh, I said my last name. Fuck it. We can't talk <laughs> about work anymore. Um, That's fine. He, and... Um, they, we, they told you it was the, the, the shit. And I watched it, and I'm like, this is just aliens meets uh, Groundhog Day. It's yeah. All, I couldn't... Which is a brilliant mix, you gotta, you gotta admit. Come Dude, on. I Who mean, would mix I'm those two just, films? I'm just <laughs> sick and tired of the Hive Queen alien. Oh, okay. Please, for the love of Christ, can we just not wrap this up with a bow every time? Mm. It's always the same. Like, oh, we just need to find out one source. The one telepath hive mind thing that uh-huh. controls, we kill this and we wrap up the movie. Is that why you loved Covenant? Because David ended up being the source of all the alien creatures, even though that doesn't think, make sense? I think what I liked about it is it was just weird and, you know, made kind of no sense. Okay. And it was supposed to tack on the alien mythos, but it doesn't really. So I think, I think that's what I liked about it. It was just like a weird movie kind of. Okay. I don't know. What's a movie that it wasn't predictable? Shed on. Huh? It wasn't predictable. Yeah. Um, Which I, I'd actually, I'm sorry to cut you no, off. No, go for it. I'm so tired. Like, in, there's a period of my life where I was so tired of the three act <clears throat> movie that, the tr- that I what, got deep into Asian movies, like uh, Polars from the 90s, like the old Sweet Arc and John Woo movies and all that before they came to America and tried to make it. Because the ending, you had no idea what was going to happen. That's true. Yeah. Like it, and they would sometimes they would just like it feel like they were like let's make the most tragic fucking ending. Yeah, they love do. tragedy. Yeah, mm-hmm. they love Koreans especially. It's like you just <laughs> yeah. so twisted. Oh my god! So that's why I went. Oh my god! To it because they they don't have <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the, that's the noise at the end of a Korean tragedy. Yeah, oh, I see what you mean. But they'll also do like comical things. I just got it. The, um, <laughs> I need to take a shower afterwards. <laughs> it's the it's the whimper. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so you got tired of the the, yeah. the Gennaro, uh plots, and yeah, so and you it, went to it's, it, And I mean, I'll. I'll watch like you know regular movies, and I'll know they'll finish well, and it'll be. But at some point, I, s- I think that's maybe why I liked Alien Covenant because it's kind of this weird yeah, ending at the end. That makes really no hard sense. to remember. And I like, uh, why does um, mm. the girl that plays uh, Charlie Theron? Why don't you run sideways, you dumb bitch? Oh yeah, you know, kind of like it's just like what is? <laughs> yeah, I just that was in Prometheus, right? Yeah. 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 Th- those are the yeah. scenes to me that are are amazing. Because knowing the size of the budget, I know how many people must have been on that set. I know and how many nobody people, said anything. How many people were fuck the set? How many people were in the writing room at the time right. where this is being read 
you know, and they're, then again, the script gets cracked open for the art direction. And then somebody's going like, okay, so, and then we're going to roll it this way. And because it's visually stunning, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Right. So but, it's like almost like you have different teams that are writing stuff, yeah. stuff that looks really cool and stuff that makes sense. And they don't talk to each other. Not one person is like, <laughs> Wait a second. dude, you could just go side. Yeah. <laughs> Either of them. This, we're we're, we're so happy to be exactly. here, Mr. Scott. Yeah. <laughs> Please, it's an yeah. honor working with yeah. you. Yeah. Can, can you? <laughs> um, uh, fan Four Stick, that, the movie that everyone calls Fan Four Stick, uh, the, 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 the ill-fated Fantastic Four film that like was the shit show of shit shows. Have you guys seen it? Yeah. Yes. I actually was, I were, I was okay with it. This I is saw the most recent one, not, yeah. the, not the one before. No, I was okay with it. The The ending... Oh, wait, which the, one? The, the, the last one with... On, the, I thought, I'm, I'm sorry, I thought you met the one that they made cheaply to ke- keep the oh, franchise. No, 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 Have not, you guys ever seen that one? Yeah, that, wait, that. yeah, we are talking about the same movie. The one with uh, that was directed by um, that, that guy that went crazy and like shat on the film. The most recent Fantastic Four movie, right? That's what no. we're talking no? about. No, no, there was one before. You're talking about the one f- with, uh, with uh, the guy from The Shield as the thing? Yes. Michael yeah. Ch- Mi- no. Chiklis? No, I think there's yeah. nobody. Chiklis. Was that, did he play? In that? Well, there was one that was like 10 years ago. Yes. And there's one that was like a year and a half, two years right. ago. Yeah. I'm talking about the most the recent one. Chiklis was like 10 years ago. Chiklis. Chiklis. Chiklis? <laughs> okay. I love saying Chiklis. Chiklis. There, there's been, okay, there was one with, okay, let's, okay, let's. Okay, what happens the, the in most, the one? The, re- the most recent one. Yes. Okay, the ones that uh, we're talking about that had, like they were kids essentially. Yeah. That's the one I'm talking okay. about. Yeah. And then um, there was one that was made with Chris Evans played the human. Yes, Torch. there's two yeah. others, That's two others with that yeah. that group. That yeah. group, but there's one before that. Are you talking about like the one that was pulled from the shelves? That like yes. is it? Okay, no, that that is a it's a cult. That's a cult classic. Like it's right. a hilarious, hilarious. It's part of like Arrested Development. It was the yeah they turned it into a bit and yeah. so like in a fantastic way yeah that's one of those like Roger Corman I think was responsible yes, I think for that so. one yeah, I yeah. think so it was a it was a whole other situation no I'm talking I, about the last one with okay. the young kids I saw it um, I watched it after like doing I guess what you did with uh, coming in on Prometheus I like I walked through the tsunami of like hatred yeah. I watched the the, the the director basically collapse on social media oh good yeah. god <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to Photoshop that <laughs> and put our faces in there. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, so I went through the wave of hate and I sat down. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to watch this movie. And I was like, this is all right. This is not that bad. I mean, there were some scenes that were funny because you could tell like the, they had wigs on and it had been added on later. Uh, the ending was a little rushed, but it was not like a horrific, horrific film. Know. How can they not nail Dr. Doom? Apparently, How can they... Fuck him up three times in a row. I, mean, I don't think anyone understands Doctor Doom. He's a tough what character. He's, about. he's a tough character to adapt because he's very much a fair, um, fair. a part of a uh, context. How can I put this? He's a product of his time. First of all, he, you know he's from a time where bad guys had like doctor or professor in front yeah, of it, right? True. Professor Doom, Professor yeah. Destruction, <laughs> Doctor. Which, yeah. Um, number two, Evil. his story doesn't make any sense. Uh, number. Three, he comes from like a vaguely, like like a vaguely Eastern European country that was invented. Like Latvia or something like that. Like La- Transylvania. Latveria. Latveria, yeah. <laughs> like Transylvania, thank you. Uh, and his motivations were never clear. Um, it was never clear whether he wanted to like outdo Mr. Fantastic 
and or he wanted to like bang Sue. Like it was never clear what what his fucking thing was. Can't it be both? Yeah, I, I think maybe. But then again, and and he has no powers, which was always fucking weird. He well, was he had like, he had an armor. Yeah, he's evil Iron Man. He's got many powers, but they're brought in through technology. He's evil Iron Man, but he, he they, that, that's the thing. They they've never been able to go with that. They had to include him. They put the nip tub guy in the first in the first yeah. version, mm. and he gets hit with the he starts having these vague like villain powers yeah like yeah where they, they he's like the, he's got to look in the mirror as he's like changing yeah. into a monster and then the new one i thought was kind of interesting i didn't even know what the fuck that was the the last doctor doom but i thought it was it was in- interesting he was what, what was happening he touched the alien goop yeah. or something yeah and then like, he got enveloped <laughs> in the alien goop it's just that i <laughs> I have a like. Richard a th- loves alien goop. Don't Go touch on. the goop. Okay. Don't touch the goop. <laughs> never touch the goop. Never, Rule number never. one. Why would you touch? The Don't goop? take off your helmet. <laughs> yeah, this is okay. I need to challenge you on this. How the fuck also did you like Covenant? <laughs> Thank you. How did you like Covenant? How could you stand there? It seems to me you're the kind of guy when 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 stupid things are done by the characters, you're like, come on, yeah. and you're like. How and could you sit there and be like, no helmets? Again. Send down the whole command again, crew. Again, the, the context yeah. of the fact that I was expecting a dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. And the, you know what I liked the most in Covenant? It was the visual signature. I thought it just looked beautiful. Oh, that's never been the problem. Yeah. The Prometheus so was gorgeous too. I'm, I'm, yeah, that's, I'm sorry. I'm, I didn't see Covenant. I, oh, you I'm, haven't seen Covenant? No, oh, okay. We're confused. I'm, I'm only talking about Prometheus. Oh, okay. okay. Okay, we're, we were shitting on Covenant. Well, it looks like it's going to be the same experience for me. <laughs> a little, but a little bit worse. Yes. But, uh, the, What's going to shock I, you is you're going to be watching Covenant and you're going to remember all the criticisms that were levied at Prometheus and you'll be like, the, well, you know, at least I can count on the movie, this one not having... Wait, they just did that again? <laughs> they doubled down. They just doubled down? <laughs> How did they miss this? The, is the, this just arrogance now? Is this just, just being obstinate? Because you're like, fuck, fuck the fans? Like, at this point, what it, this has got to be just... When I care about a movie, yeah. to begin with, I do... I'm very critical of whether they're going to have some sort of logic behind it. And sci-fi has always been a big struggle because... And that's the irony. There's a, a format of sci-fi movie that I like is when they, look, there's something unknown. We're going to send it to like uh, there's a movie that got a lot of crap in the 90s. It was Evan Horizon, which Evan Horizon. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. It got mm. hammered by the did critic. it get destroyed? Oh, uh, destroyed. I enjoyed it. I thought it was, it was kind of like a doom dark fucking movie. Yeah. Exactly. It was kind of doom ish, like doom, the video game. Yeah. Like yeah, the. Sure. Dimension of Hell, uh-huh. and I remember watching it. And I'm like, "Wow, this is pretty badass." I liked it, mm. but I couldn't shake the fact that you got a, a dimension traveling spaceship that pops out of nowhere, and you send a bunch of medics. Is that what they did? Yeah, the only movie that actually responds to this kind of thing that I know of, the only serious movie, is Aliens. It was like, oh. There might be aliens that will send marines. Yeah. Like, we're not going to send... But we're like, going to send 12 of them. There was more than 12. And yes, they made some 13. bad calls, but before you go and destroy no, no, whatever I'm respect not, I have for I'm you, not touching do, that movie. Yeah, I love don't. that movie. <laughs> please don't. I'm not that... I, I, you can explain the... the, the, the <laughs> look, they had two... They, they had it's two... It's like the mouth of madness in space. Yeah. Uh, Event Horizon? Yeah. 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 It's a, that's bit, and there's the guy that... Which I like that it. movie as well. Yeah. yeah. Any yeah, movie can be picked apart. Well, Mouth of Madness, when I just as an aside, 
Mouth of Madness is the, even though it's not officially one, is the best Lovecraft adaptation ever put to cinema ever. And I'm going to put this as a plant of flag mm-hmm. right now. If you watch this, it's, it's the like Tulu mythos in a movie with like the elements of madness and like the small town the in Northeast America. Like America. University. Exactly. All that stuff, yeah. I remember watching this and that's when I started getting interested in Love, uh, H.P. Lovecraft and everything. And I was like, how come this is, the, how come this is not a, like a st- approved like stamped a movie? A franchise. Yeah. yeah. It's, and to this day, it still holds together. I watched it a couple of years ago and I like it. I don't and I'm understand. sorry I cut you off. What were you going to say about Aliens? I was going to say you can pick any movie apart really, but, um, yes, that's true as well. Um, uh, so, some, uh, there's a difference between going, why were there only like 20 Marines on that ship with 700 guns and 8,000 dropships? Uh, but that's, that's more of an intellectual conversation where you're having fun. That's not like, that's not a question you're asking because the movie doesn't work, right? That's a question because you're asking because you're like, hey, I love point. this movie so, so much. Let's, why was everyone, why did everyone have short hair? That type of thing, right? Hmm. But, um, when it comes to Prometheus, the questions and things like that that, are, that come up about it are more like they, they stop the story. They stop you dead. You're I like, agree. I can't enjoy this because this is so dumb. I agree. Um, but I agree. Like the two scared geologists in the cave that are like scared shitless yeah. and then they see a weird snake and they take off their shit and pet it. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> really? He was going to... if penis if it, cobra? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. If, if it didn't attack him immediately, he was going to start deep-throating it at some point. Yeah. You know? It was only a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. He's going to start deep-throating it. Then the map guy gets lost after yeah. after giving an expose on how 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 like okay he is and he's angry the whole time for some reason we don't know why he's angry <laughs> and so forth and so on so these are like fundamentally problematic to in the enjoyment of the film rather than um why did they make that artistic choice oh that was weird yeah but uh, uh about uh, the uh, lovecraft uh the cthulhu mythos is i don't understand i never pronounce it correctly it's i didn't for the longest time um i never understood why it's not a bigger deal i think guillermo del toro has been trying to oh, do don't the. Get me started with this. He was supposed to do uh, the actual Mouth of Madness. Mouth of Madness or ma- Mountains of Mountains of Madness when they go to Antarctica and stuff, which yeah. to me was like, please. That's the Mecca story of yeah. the entire. Yeah. Oh my god. That's the. And good it's stuff. not even the Cthulhu one. It's just part of the mythos. Yeah. And for the longest time, like it was on board, off board, on board, off board. It died in development, yeah. Uh, yeah, like it was like in development hell for the longest time, and now it's just dead in the water. It's not yeah. going to happen because he said, uh, I don't see how I can make a big tentpole movie with that tough of an ending and make it appealing to people. So That's a fair point. Americans don't like, uh, yeah. they don't like sad endings. Yeah. They don't like it. Or there's a type of movie that gets to be sad, but it's that's that type of like it's gonna be a movie about civil rights or the first gay pilot or whatever. It's gonna be one of those stories, right? Where you get to do like all I wanted to do was love this country yeah. and like one of those. Yeah, yeah. But in their tent pole American chips and yeah. popcorn, if you fucking end that he shit on the sacrificed himself for his love <coughs> for his country. If you end it on the sour note, like no one's going to come and see your movie. They literally, like, running out of the theater, the, the premiere people will be like, yeah. it ends when, badly. When they do screen <laughs> testing, they make you change the ending. Yeah. yeah. Kevin yeah. Smith had to do that. Everybody. Uh, there's, uh, yeah. It's just this. His, uh, his spider story, I, I, I like very much. 
the 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 story he tells about the um oh yeah the return of superman or whatever yes. mm. where he had yeah. to uh That's he almost wrote it and there was a giant spider at the end you remember this uh yeah i remember yeah. the story it was great yeah. he, he tells he's a good storyteller yes. that was a nicholas cage one right yeah almost yeah. Oh, i saw the screen test yeah. when the, he puts on the costume yeah it is that exists oh there's yeah footage of this oh yeah i saw the picture no, I no, saw no, no. There's, there's, there's footage, the, and you can hear. I'm not joking. It looks weird. Like it looks of weird. Course. He has like long, like he has kind of like a half mullet thing. Did he legit have long hair at that time? I don't know. Okay, but he, there's doing the screen test, and he's really tall and lanky. There's no bulk to him, yeah. and he's got those weird, like weird long hair in the back, and he's like, like losing his hair yeah, from he's like half the bald. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he's got and while potato. he's standing there taking pictures because they're doing like a, a test. And you can hear. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And you can hear. Look, what the hell is... that is a wax doll? That can't be him. I don't know. But there's like, why the V-neck? Yeah, the Superman? V-neck makes it... Does it the V-neck makes me very uncomfortable too. Yeah. And Jesus. in the screen test that they do, the makeup test that they do, you can hear Nicolas Cage say, but it's going to look better on screen, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. What is... What the fuck is this? I don't know. So for those listening, I, I just moved in on the costume and... It, they seem to have been like between eliminating the red underwear and and keeping it. So there's just this like this <laughs> this like ball ball sack <laughs> of red. Jesus Christ! This would have been the fu- this would have been the m- yeah. probably celebrated yeah. a la the room. You know, like cult oh, yeah. call style. This would have been one of the worst movies ever made. <laughs> I'm almost sorry. See, we, we lament movies like Mountains of Madness uh, falling apart in development, uh, but. Other or Jodorowsky's Dune. Jodorowsky's Dune would have been... Uh, I Also, I think it would have been a movie that perplexed like a generation. I still want to see that. I, everyone wants to see it, but it's one it of those things where happen. you know it's going to be terrible and long, but it's going to be beautiful and, and weird, and that's, that's Jodorowsky, you know? Um, uh, the, the shitty thing about... I'll tell you my real reason. I don't, know, I don't think I told Richard about this. The real reason that I despise... Uh, Prometheus less so than Covenant I hate Covenant I really do I yeah, fucking I hate Covenant I I'll tell that. you why I hate it before I hated it even before I saw it oh my god that's the footage yes. of, oh my this god is, what, this what is, is what that I'm talking about what was that pose <laughs> okay I gotta watch that after uh, f- uh, for those listening at home it's the Nicolas Cage footage uh, with the Superman the makeup death oh my god it's mental okay I'm gonna watch that later um I hated Covenant. I hated Covenant even before I I ever saw it because there was no fucking alien Covenant. There was Prometheus, which nobody understood, including Ridley Scott himself doesn't seem to know what the fuck that movie was, where it fit in the grander scheme of things. But when it was done, it was like, okay, go home, old man. And then Neil Blomkamp came in and was like, don't worry, kids. I got you. Not only do I got you, but I have a script that I showed to and his Sigourney ideas Weaver. Were good. He was gonna bring Sigourney Sigourney and, Weaver came back. And Mike Bing too. He Michael Bing Michael was Bing gonna was come, gonna come back, back with a like missing an eye. Corporal well, Hicks was dude, probably gonna be like an admiral by then. They would have been think badass about, beyond Okay. So keep that image in mind of those all those like development, those like drawings of what that movie could have been. And remind yourself as you're watching Covenant that this is the movie that fucked that movie. Mm-hmm. And we'll never see Neil Blomkamp's vision because of this piece of shit. Because the moment Neil Blomkamp started 
working on it. Yeah, and stirring up attention. People were super excited. Everyone wanted to see and it. And Scott, Scott put right. his shriveled up dick into it and, and ruined his, you know, he's like, no, it's mine, mine. Typical fucking stupidity. Yeah. Well, like Lucas did with the late Star Wars work. Yeah, although they were asking him to be involved because he owned everything, right? They couldn't well, do it without Well, we're him. talking about episode one, two, three. He was not involved in the current ones, was he? Wait, we're talking about the prequels now? Yeah. He was involved in the prequels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he was involved in the original ones too. Yes, I'm talking about... Because he, I think that Lucas and Scott are similar in that way, that they had this legacy that they could not let go of. It, I think it's Brian De Palma that said that the worst thing that ever happened to George Lucas is Star Wars because he became so obsessed with that one universe. Yeah, he got lost in there. Couldn't let it go. Yeah. Controlled it for many years, wouldn't let anybody touch it. And then when he finally touched it to do one, two, three, he kind of did this. Well, I mean, we all seen the Shit movies. Show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, sure but Luke, I don't see that problem with Scott. <laughs> I see Scott indifferently. He got to let go of, of Blade Runner and Alien and go out and make a bunch of new movies and had success That's too. G.I. Jane, Gladiator, you uh, name Didn't he do Black Hawk Down? Black Hawk was Down. amazing. Was that him? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he got to. He did one recently that I liked. One of his latest. Martian, the Martian. Yes. I like yeah. that. Yeah. So he, he's had, uh, yeah. he's had another, but now his problem is, <clears throat> is actually reversed to G- George Lucas is he doesn't have, he in his mind anyway, <laughs> reverse George he Lucas. doesn't have his star Wars. And he, he, he thinks that he never oh, finished his alien masterpiece okay. and he kind of feels raw about having pimped it out and let it, other people license it and, drag it through the shit like alien versus predator so he's kind of clinging on so he's like i can see him in his tower you know like oh i gotta finish my legacy and he's moving papers around and oh gotta (laughs) it's all gonna fit it's all gonna fit pretend that one didn't exist yeah (laughs) and he's just making these movies and i don't think he's 100 percent in his right mind (laughs) i don't think so anyway Mm -hmm. and anyways i don't think he's doing them for the wrong reasons uh he shouldn't have brought so yeah so that's my that's that's my beef with that movie. Is I wanted to see Blomkamp's fucking vision of it. It would have been so great. Well, the minute they said they were bringing back Corporal Hicks, I was like, do it. Right? <laughs> Remember it. Aliens 3 when it opens and you're like, and Newt and Hicks died. You're like, what? Yes, that to me, that was it. I watched you Alien 3 and then they kill, like this, just start over. I'm like, why? What? How? Why? Why was that? Not, you don't tell me you couldn't get Michael Bean. I know he was available. I know <laughs> he, was, he was available. He was. I've watched every piece of like commentary for these movies. So what the fuck happened? When <laughs> so this is what happened is that he he wanted to be on board like there's no tomorrow because he, he liked working on the franchise and everything. And but when they kept redoing the script, he got written out, and he was so mad he wouldn't like he wouldn't even use. If you look at Alien Three. You don't see his likeness in the movie. That's not an accident, because he, mm. not that he was. He said, "I like purge Don't me want to be. I don't care how much money you give me. You're not putting my face on this garbage." I was. I thought that we had some going on. So did the rest of the world. Yeah, but except That's for Fox. Bad. I don't understand that. And, I really don't. And people are like, "Oh yeah, but what would have happened if he would have been there on the prison? That wouldn't have been the same. It would have been awesome for him to whip a bunch of stupid." like crazy inmates into a fighting force tell me that wouldn't be a badass movie pretty good that's pretty good and they're all crazy and he has to wrangle them up and like they're going off the rails that would have been just that would have sold itself (laughs) so there's something wrong with me (laughs) because 
<laughs> the minute you're like, what if Hicks survives? He's the one that gets raped. <laughs> I'm just, just like, this is where my mind goes. It's like immediately have something bad happen to him. We're like, no, no, wait, 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 wait. What if he turns him into a fighting force and they, and, and they all protect Newt and suddenly find they redeem themselves while fighting, fighting these monsters? Hmm. They're like, that's a way better story. That's yes. a way better and story. I agree. But notwithstanding <laughs> this travesty that you're speaking of right yes. now, again, if you if you play it through, at the end, the emotional weight of Hicks having to kill her at the end that would like that would have been uh, like yeah. he, like and she says you have to do it, and then he doesn't want it, but yeah. he knows he has to. He, this this why isn't that movie? Hmm. The one does that exist? Yeah. yeah. Two stars is a chef's award. It's a cook's award. You get two stars for cooking. You get three stars for being a cook stroke restaurateur. And now that's what Gordon's turning into. He inspects his cheese board. He takes the interest in the wine cellar. He looks at the flowers. He inspects the waiters. Three stars is all about the package. When they walk into Gordon Ramsay's restaurant, even though they may not see him, they should be able to smell him. Uh, I know that you used to be a chef. Yes. I don't know if that's a topic that you're interested in. Uh, well, I mean, in, in in mentioning. Yeah, I mean, but it, that that's interesting to me. Well, it's um, the first thing I gotta say about that is uh, the food service industry should be a mandatory uh, thing that the kids these days should do. Like millennials should work a year or two in a restaurant. I don't care if you're busing tables, waiting tables, you're in the kitchen, your kitchen hand, or even like, cleaning dishes. Should be like a boot camp. It's for a. It's a boot camp. B. It teaches you the value of hard work for a shit pay. It teaches you the fact that the world doesn't care that it's your weekend. If you want money, you got to work it, mm-hmm. and that's it. And there's a certain um, uh, how could I say like the toughness that comes with it because uh, nowadays, like the the factory of the 21st century in North America is the call center. Yeah, especially here. Yeah. And uh, the and this is getting outsourced too, but whatever. And the environment is very, it's a safe space. Not that I want to touch on safe spaces. It's <laughs> fine. Which is a thing that I hate. But um, it's a safe space in the actual term of it. It's not dangerous. You're not in danger. People, when you think about uh, people that are on uh, workers' disability and stuff like that, they think of like, oh, you fell off a building working constructions but the most accidents that happen more than any other business is in the food service industry in the kitchen you get cut you get burned all the time but there's kind of a it's not an omerta but it's kind of a like i'll give you an example like listeners at home won't see but here like i have a scar on my left index i drove my chef knife down to my bone one time because I'd been working for 12 hours and I couldn't see straight. And you don't take breaks. There's no breaks unless you're a smoker. And l- legit people would start smoking just, just to get, a- to get breaks. <laughs> I'm not joking. It's funny, but I'm not joking. Yeah. And I finished my shift. I took a popsicle stick and I taped it with some gauze and tape. And I finished my shift. And the next day I was at work because when I cut it and the chef was helping me fix it up, he was looking at me, and I could tell in his eyes, you better not pussy out on me. You better not fucking start like going on CSST and stuff because you don't do that. The minute you do that, you're dead. I was working with a woman that did it, and her career fell flat. She, Just because she went on a worker's compensation? Yes. 
Yes, just because she got hurt and she got because there's a bit of a code in inside. There's not a bit of a code. There okay. is a definite code, and if you break that code, which means if you get hurt and you pussy out, I mean, don't look for references here. Wow. Like we will make your life hell until you quit and find something else. Even if you like chop two of your fingers off, dude. I was I never bled that much in my life, and. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you hear the stories, you know, you hear the stories. Richard's worked in the service industry a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, for, he was front of house, uh, you know, those comebacks. Um, I did both. You did, did you do back of house yeah, as well? Yeah, I did back of house. I did oh. both too. I started in uh, waiting tables, but I had a bad attitude, so I went to the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> where it was welcomed. <laughs> yeah, where it, yeah, where it was welcome. He's horrible. Send him into the back. Yeah. <laughs> He'll be an amazing chef. He's a <laughs> terrible person. Um, so... Richard, uh, it was his birthday last Friday, and uh, we went to this pub that's next to uh, the famous Cucheval, right? Which is constantly cited as one of the best restaurants in Montreal or whatever. And I I got there too early, so I just sat down on the curb, and I was like, I was like marveling at this place and watching all the Lamborghinis and the Mercedes sort of being valeted. And I started decided to look up the reviews of of this restaurant, and it turns out on Yelp, on on Google, okay. And it has horrible reviews. Uh, out of every fourth, every fourth review is like is, is horrific. And one of them specifically that keeps coming back is how the, apparently the chef is a lunatic. Wow! Uh, and he comes out. He, he he sometimes like bursts out of the kitchen into the eating area, and will will dismantle staff. To on like an atomic level, like he will, <laughs> he will just dismantle people in front of everybody, and it's funny because the owners respond sometimes to the the complaints, and to that specific one, I was expecting like a well, we're very sorry, that's never going to happen again, and uh, must have been a misunderstanding. They straight up just went like, yes, our chef is passionate, uh, but <laughs> well. he cares a lot about his work. So, but the question I wanted to ask you is, what do you make of this cl- cliche or this? Um, this tro this trope of the, the the mad chef being you or you have to be kind of mad to be great. Well, it's not a myth. First of all, when you work in the kitchen, I've for the record, I've never met a stable, sensitive chef. Like it's never right, this right. wise. It's not a thing. Yeah, no, it's not like you're not working for Yoda there. It's just madness. I could tell you stories. Some of them didn't happen to me. Um, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, which I went to cooking school with, worked at a restaurant that I want, like a big, well-known place here in Montreal, an establishment, and almost got into a knife fight with a chef because he did, uh, he was preparing the entrees, and they weren't a liking to the uh, alcoholic, uninged, uh, six-foot-three bearded chef that they had there, and he... Um, he disapproved. He disapproved. He disapproved, and he just like all the prep that he had done. He threw it on the floor of the cold room, and they literally pulled knives. Yeah. Well, my friend did. Okay. He's but, like, "Fuck you." And, and then he pulled out the knife, and the next thought in his head is, "I quit." So he put back the knife, and he quit. Okay. That was and but you see this as a normal outcome. Well, it depends of that environment. It's, it it depends. There's a difference. It's not normal for human beings to act that way, but it is typical of the industry. And it's just, if you work 12 hours, you never see your kids, you're surrounded by booze, you're going to be an alcoholic piece of shit. <laughs> I guess so. Yes. I've, yeah. <laughs> that, that, oh, yeah. That adds up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've worked in places. It was a 
great chef. He was a chef when he was 23 years old. Like he was running a kitchen and he was running it well. But the guy is just crazy. I mean, when I was working for him, that's the guy when I cut my finger. He was a great chef. And he was actually the craziest one. That's the weird part. But, I mean, he, uh, you know, he was cheating on his wife with the staff. He was like, a, yeah, he was, he was drunk. The, he was the whole package. Yeah. Okay. He's just a, yeah. And do you, do you see, do you, I don't know, do you see this as like, I mean, because some part of me accepts that there needs to be a kind of fascist regime in a kitchen simply by the virtue of the fact that if you let it slip and the kind of people that intend to uh, wander into kitchen work, um, I mean, you're, you're feeding people, you're giving people food, right? They're going to be eating it. So you kind of want to have a regime of yeah, discipline well, and military like the first the first thing is the urgency you don't have time to do hr shit when you're right. in the kitchen like oh could you please could just move things along no you're gonna get an insult and you better fucking move along that's what you're gonna get a hundred covers to do yeah fucking roll. Move, like, move, move. exactly okay. and the thing is that first of all the the the, the feeling of emergency is constant so you don't have time for hr bullshit and the you like very rarely do kitchen staff get unionized because of that because once the union gets in it's not profitable like you can't have like ah oh, the food I'm starts to do suck. A complain about you like instead of doing what you're supposed to do the chef is like his hands are tied and that's the thing this is the this is the metaphor of how sausage is made like people say oh why does it have to be because you won't pay more like Restaurants are cheap for what it costs. People, like most restaurants, go out of business within a year. A profitable restaurant, there's exceptions. People are always going to be like, oh, what about this restaurant? There's exceptions. But as a rule of thumb, a restaurant will make about 5% profit at the end of its year. That's it? Yeah. So, wow. And a lot of them just break even. Even though they might be yeah, super and people fancy. Say, How come? The people don't think everything that comes into play. You got to buy like plates and people break plates and then you got to change your plates and then you cutlery and then the just wine, let the me cellar. give you an example. Um, I walk uh, to work in front of Le Toquet. It's one of the best table in town. Considered one of the best. Yeah. And people don't realize. I noticed this because I used to work in that field. But every other day or so, there's a guy cleaning those gigantic windows in front of it. Because you can't be le toqué and have dirty-ass windows. That's not happening. Yeah. So that's your money out of your pocket. Mm -hmm. And people don't think about that. Oh, how can expensive can it be? It's just a bit of food. There's just like you, sp you spill wine on all those white linens. That's, that's not free. You, people don't think about it. And then you, even if you go into different type of cooking, like you get every, like the overhead that comes with like takeout. That's money out of your pocket. Like just a coffee... Like people, they, they, they'll buy a coffee, but they don't think about the fact that the, those little cream cups and the sugar packets is money too. So if they sell you the coffee for a buck fifty, you just left with forty dollars of free shit to put in it, and then a little stick to, and then you want the wood stick, you don't want the little cheap plastic stick, and that's more money, but you don't want to pay more for that coffee. Right. Except if you go to Starbucks and you're a sucker, but that coffee's got to stay two bucks or whatever dollar exactly. fifty. Exactly. So people don't realize that the the margin of profit is very low for a restaurant unless again 
people will always throw if there's a common section here they'll be like what about that restaurant they're rolling in it <laughs> i'm sure there's right. exceptions there are exceptions joe beach sure. i think is doing really yeah. well and but then again they got down season they you know and and another thing when you got a good restaurant you got to think about the fact that you got to keep your chef because the minute the chef is gone your quality is out the window you got to rebuild your customers because they can tell the first they'll go in like right. your your uh, regulars they'll know yeah well, like what different. happened to my yeah why exactly. my potatoes taste different and if your restaurant if your customers can't tell that you change chef it's either because you got fucking gullible uh, customers or because your restaurant ain't that great because a chef should own a restaurant and should make a difference at it and he's the one who creates the menu and he changes it. If you go to a restaurant and the, the, the menu is like covered in plastic and you could put it in the uh, dishwasher, you're in a <laughs> shitty restaurant. That's, that how you, that's how you tell if you're in a shitty restaurant. If, if, the, if the menu is kind of like one of those like leather bound things and there's like a sheet that was got printed out two days uh -huh. ago, the menu changes frequently, you're in a great place. Mm. Yeah, that, that, that is one thing that I remember from the, the Ramsey the stuff that I've seen with Gordon Did Ramsay. he talk about that? Well, he talked about when he does the Kitchen Nightmare stuff, he's always, one of the first things that he remarks always is like, your menu right. is fucking ridiculous. Right. Like, but usually it's about selection. There's too much stuff. You see, you got less item and you rotate. You don't put a bunch of crap on it because yeah. that means that you got prep that's sitting in the fridge. And a lot that's, of people... That's, that's got to be a huge cost too, all the food yeah, that goes bad. Yeah. And then again, why do, you have, why do you have so much preps? Because you got shitty staff. Why you got shitty staff? You don't pay them enough. You pay them more. You raise the price at the plate. You lose customer. Your restaurant closed. It's all thing that people don't think about. So, and that's the thing that people ask me often. Like, how realistic is the Gordon Ramsay character? First of all, Gordon Ramsay... At first, I didn't like him because when he started getting popular, it wasn't that long before I, since I had left the food service industry. So at the time, it was kind of like a PTSD situation. I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to watch. This is not funny to me. That's why I can't watch it. Yeah. <laughs> is yeah, that right? Is that real? Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. You're yeah. like, this is too I, real? No, yeah. I don't enjoy it at all. <laughs> yeah, because you remember having to deal with this unhinged chef screaming at you. But usually for me, I'm French Canadian, so they were French. And the... Um, the difference is that I, a friend of mine who's a big fan says, you need to watch this guy because he reminds me of you. He just got like a hair trigger. And I started watching it. And he's, he, first of all, he's a good chef. I like his type of cooking. He's not the best, best chef. He's like a simplicity guy, right? Exactly. Like simple, rustic. He, he likes to kind of put new twists on classics. He doesn't like any of the fusion stuff, which I hate as well. He doesn't like any of the molecular cuisine, which I think it's garbage. Yeah, I'm not a big fan. It's just, it, it's, it's pretentious. Cool, it's, 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 yeah, pretentious it's very pretentious. Yeah. It's, it's cool, but I mean, you're just Molecular, like okay, a good meal is a good meal, but at the end of the day, it's pre-poop. That's what it is. It's what? It's the pre-state of poop. It's the pre-state of poop. Once you realize <laughs> that, it takes you away from like, oh, this, this truffle that exploded in front of my nose and it smelled different than it tasted was, I don't know, $180 and that's just the appetizer. I'm like, it's still pre-poop. Yeah, this is still... It will, it will be decayed <laughs> brown poop. matter. It's poop now. <laughs> yeah. So there's a limit to... It's a good name for a restaurant. Yeah, pre-poop. Hmm. Pre-poop. Or this episode. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So... So there's a point where you got to tone it down. And this is why I like Ramsey, because he'll just take some 
classic like just the and way you make that, a chowder yeah the, the way he does a turkey I, I that's how i do my turkey now it's just a simple great way to eat and this is which what is? i like about him but there's also a way that i like about uh, which is like amongst the thing to prevent the breasts from being dry he covers them with bacon which on the face of it is a genius idea that already and, sounds like it works and it works beautifully like if you told me like uh covering my car yeah. my car with bacon would <laughs> Would make it <laughs> well, a paint job sure last longer. Use, I believe. I'm you. not sure <laughs> if you use bacon or lard, but either way, it's you a just, beautiful idea. Which covers I, it. Yes. Well, just if you look it up, it, that recipe is online. You can find it anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's one of his classics, and it's just I I do it. and It's great, and but the way he does, um, of course, it's you know they're playing up when they're doing the show, and uh, which one? There's one that he goes visits the restaurant, and then there's one that he has his own restaurants. And He's got he the, lear- the yeah, the learning restaurant, which is kitchen nightmare. Yeah, kitchen nightmare is where he weeds out the guys, right? right. That one, yeah. I, I love. I love that one. Uh, Hell, <laughs> Hell's Kitchen is the one where he yells at the students or whatever at the at the okay. new. Okay, I like kitchen mm-hmm. nightmare where he goes and flip a business up, because that's where you see the kind of guy and what he cares about mm-hmm. and what he mentions and the details. Like yeah, guy, he sees everything. He does. He sees everything and. Mm-hmm. When he yells at people, and this is something that I really like about Gordon Ramsay, and I believe in as far as management goes, is that what like it, there's a saying that goes, it's easier to build great people than to fix them. But Gordon Ramsay has a loophole. He breaks them down to the lo- smallest Lego blocks mm-hmm. and then builds them back up. But you don't. It's not pretty. You have to say you fucking suck. You're you're an idiot sandwich. He's catching you up on all the shit you should have yeah. gotten and years ago. And then you ago. break down emotionally, and then he says, all right, let's start over. Because mm. he runs into a resistance a lot of the time. They're yeah. like, no, this is the way to do it. And he's like, no, yeah. that is not. It's like calcified. For thinking that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he doesn't exactly. have time to, to baby step you through it. Well, so not only does he not have, have time. have a good cry, and then come back. And yeah. We'll, we'll and if you don't come do back, it. then. Exactly. But <laughs> let, let me yeah. tell you something. When you're, and you've worked in the food service industry. It works. When you like, when your chef breaks you down, when you're back up, you're ready for war. You're like, all right, let's let's do this. Or you don't, or you leave. Or you leave, or right. you leave. That never happened to me. Well, not exactly. I I walked out on jobs, but not because of a bad rush or something like that. For people that never worked in the food industry, rush is when all the clients shows up at the same time. And when you work as a chef or as a cook or whatever, the rush, a good rush. Is something you don't forget. I still mm. remember that was over a decade ago. I still remember specific days when just you get clients, tables just filling up, but you're nailing it. All the <laughs> plates were coming out, and you're completely under control. You're in the zone, like mm. a Zen moment. I rem- I have vivid memories right now of moments, rushes that just went smoothly, and you know you're in the zone, and it's great. And it's rare. Usually, it's just like like a tsunami of bullshit and you're just trying to make it out alive and that's the that's the business but when it, a good rush you don't forget that so why is it why is it that food never comes out like wh- why is it so hard to get the food the fuck out of the kitchen what do you mean? mean well like this seems to be like a common thing where you have to wait for your food you wait for your food sometimes you see a re- restaurant that's got like maybe 20 tables um there's like four or five people in the kitchen uh, you know, constantly just like moving back and forth, but the, it takes time to move out the the food. Like this is always a thing with the waiting. What is that? It's uh, the first 
the first of the three elements which I've always found were the um, good waiter is is very important. The front of house, yeah. Yeah. They, that they, you the, know, like how, the setting how, the expectations exactly, and how quick they pass the orders and what they know to prioritize and like they're, you know, and how clear they are in the orders so you don't have to fuck them up and start again. Because that's that's an issue that's reoccurring. Oh but, yeah, yeah. Because okay, it, so the, the 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 client made no mistake, they ordered. Yeah. But the fucking dude or chick. Yeah, that, I didn't know how to work the cash or kind of fiddle around. It's it's the first thing. It's if you got good staff in the dining room you're not gonna get that but if you have bad staff when i, I was a shitty waiter and i was shitty at it because that's one of my <laughs> thing like i didn't know how to prioritize my my tables and that's one element that i know less of because i've only did it for a couple of years but you you waited right richard yeah and would you agree with his assessment yeah absolutely i mean you need to be coordinated with the back of the house yeah. Right. Like you need and you need to go and take the order at the right time. You need to make sure that you're not leaving food that's ready to go under the hot oh, plate yeah. for pick, for too long. Pick up your plates. You got to make sure that you've cleared the, the plates in time to be able to bring the next course. Like it's all a question of timing and coordination. It's like a ballet and you need good staff. And in the back, it's the same thing. You also need good staff that know what they're doing. That's. The second element is the staff in the kitchen. What kind of staff do you have there? Are they on the ball? Like, do they know how to prioritize stuff? Do they know how to, like, do you have enough staff? Do you have too much staff? Because that can happen. That, yeah, that can happen. So it's everyone's rare. just like smashing into it's, each other. Yeah, it's rare, but it happens. Three people show up with the same yeah. prep, and you're right. like, I mean, like you do your like if you're cooking dinner for yourself at home, and there there's a few different components that all need to be done. At, at the same time right. so that they're all hot and they're like not overcooked and stuff already that can be like a you know at, at a certain point especially if you have guests over or whatever or like or kids it's like running a bit of a kitchen a right. tiny little bit of a restaurant so imagine that times a hundred yeah right like you have like all these different components that all need to be ready all at the same time and like oh i got everything ready but now oh shit the french fries didn't get cooked or they overcooked and you have the like this yeah, whole, and then the whole plate is, yeah and that's it is waste a big a big part of the cost? Oh, yes. I just finished the thought yeah, earlier. Sorry. Another, another um, big element is uh, the quality of the prep. Like, how ready are you to get clients? And did you just get a huge wave of clients that fucked up your entire prep? Now you started from scratch? The prep now, just to be clear, is the plates where like all of the elements that can be put out right away or well, let's just say let's just say that you have um one of the things you have on your menu i don't know it's um it's uh i'm gonna use i'm sorry i'm gonna use some french yeah, expression yeah, go for it uh you have i don't know like a, a certain vegetable that you and if you cook it from scratch it's gonna take too long so what you have is is a to blanche tes légumes, which to kind of half yeah, blanch it yeah. Blanch yeah. It, yeah actually most of the vocabulary in cooking even in english it's just is translated french. yeah, yeah. And uh, so you, the, that's what blanching is, is pre, pre essentially, okay. essentially, it's that you just borderline, you just have to heat them back up, essentially. So you just say it's like green beans, you can't have fully cooked green beans, because then you're going to be serving mash. So you have blancher. yeah, so they're partially they're ready to go. So all you have to do is then you either steam it or boil it right back down just a few seconds. They're like super good. It pops the green back up. You get some butter on there, salt and pepper. You pop it in whatever salmon, whatever you doing it. But if you're you ran out of 
si tu si t'as pas blanchi tes, tes five or you ran out, you didn't do enough, uh, then what are you going to do? You have to start from scratch. Right. You just held out that And you have five table. people asking yeah. for that yeah. dish. So then you have two options. You either serve them not at the same time or you hold back the whole table. It's all thing you got to calculate all the time. And you got to know what cooks faster, what cooks, like how much of this I'm going to need, so on and so forth. So you're able to, you know, turn on a dime and make sure that people don't have to wait for their food. So it's really, there's a lot of calculation at work, but prep to me was always a big thing. And whenever you have a good rush that I spoke about earlier, is you can't have a good rush if you don't have a good prep. That's not going to happen. Yeah, because you. But if you have good prep and you get a bunch of tables that fill up, you and you can handle it, and your staff's on the ball, and all the, and the grill is hot, and you just got, and it's just plates coming out. That's awesome. But about waste, waste is a huge issue because that's when the margin of profit goes. If you if you're wasting food, that's you know that five percent I spoke about earlier that where the profit. Yeah, yeah. that's where it starts to chip enough. It eats up that five percent. Well, yeah. There's only so much you can feed to your staff. <laughs> well, usually <laughs> it's... Shitty if, let, let me give you food. an idea. Let me give you an idea. You're, um, the guy that's uh, washing the dishes might help out in the kitchen. And uh, he might peel the potatoes. Let's just say he's peeling potatoes. And, uh, because that's you know something super basic. But it's just some kid. You, you pay him next to nothing. And he peels the potato with a potato knife. And essentially, you come out with a bunch of like rectangles because he's so like he's not peeling off oh, okay. so much. He's cutting. He's he's, he's he's killing like a 10 percent, 20 percent of the exactly. potato. And you get a bunch <laughs> of wedges of that. And you don't serve fried wedges because you're not that casual spa. Yeah. So you just waited. You just wasted several pounds of potatoes. Why? Because you had shitty staff. Just one bad pay peeler can can fuck <laughs> up the whole. With the fifty uh, pound. It always 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 fascinated me, but I I never wanted to approach that world because I knew that it would break me and I would end up like <laughs> with a with a twitch. Yeah, it was always entertaining to see some people who would just crack under the pressure, like the first rush. You know, you bring in some yeah. like new busboy or something, and the first time that you were in the shit, you could tell you could separate yeah. people to, who could take the pressure it's and who war. couldn't take it. Yeah. It, it is, yeah, absolutely. It's, there's it's, a reason why there's so many parallels, yeah, right? Yeah. There's a war. And, and people are really busy and they're also really bored, <laughs> right? At the same time. What do you mean? Like, they can, like, there's not a lot to do aside from, like, serving the tables, but then also just torturing the staff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so there's some, some long nights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what's cool is that, like, after the, the rush is finished, like, no matter how how much uh, yelling yelling there was or calling each other's mother's names. Everybody's friends afterwards. Well, yeah. Like you, it's forgotten, you it's, know? It's PTSD or uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, what do you call it? There's a name for it and they talk about it with GIs where they bond over like a firefight. Mm. Yeah. And it, they were in the shit together and you, they survived. Absolutely. Yeah. You must walk out <laughs> with a certain sense of accomplishment at the end of a... Well, it depends on the, the day. Night. I've watched, I've, I've came out of certain days where... Like, I remember the first time I did a, like, a hard 12-hour, like, non-stop 12-hour. I, I remember, this is not even exaggerating, I walked out. Like, at some point, the chef saw me, and I was just zombified at that point. It's like, you got enough. Like, you need to go home. Get out of here. Yeah. So I remember I sat in my car, and I, I forgot. Like, my car wasn't starting. I forgot my keys were in my pocket. 
Like I unlocked the car and put my keys back in my pocket and I sat in my car and I'm like, what's going on? Like I was just zoned out. Mm. I like, oh shit. You probably shouldn't be driving at that point anyways. (laughs) And um, I went home and I tried to uh, twist cap a bottle of Heineken, which is not a twist cap. And I opened my hand with it. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then so I was so exhausted. I sat in front of the TV with a handful of blood and a closed Heineken in the other hand. (laughs) And my roommate, who's also working in another restaurant, walked in and looked at me and says, rough day. Rough day. (laughs) Because he knew exactly. (laughs) Just sitting there like. Uh, too bummed out and lazy to go get a bald opener or some gauze. Yeah, no, that can be that can be that can be pretty hardcore. But I just think about like I guess the the dream situation is like you had this hardcore rush. You you survived it with your crew. They all went home. Somebody's mopping, and then you have yourself a little espresso or whatever at at one of the it's tables. Not espresso. No. No. Well, it depends. Maybe like I worked a lot. Most of what I worked was the. There's two kind of two shifts. There's a day shift, was kind of marathon, and then there's a night shift. It's kind of a sprint. When you do the dinner, it's one meal, several courses, more complicated. Uh, the just the, the the variety of stuff that you have, and it's like everything is much more complicated. If you just get into red meats how people want them cooked. That's another thing that's a big problem. That's a motherfucker. Yeah. I would never open yeah. a steakhouse for that yeah. reason. And it's such a... D- it depends where if you're in a shit place, everybody's going to ask for a shit way to cook it. Like, so well done? Like, yeah. I feel oh like my well God. done is bullshit. When people would ask, like, filet mignon, well done, I'm like, just get a hamburger, you <laughs> yeah. horse's ass. Yeah. <laughs> you just come out with, like, a blowtorch in one hand and the piece what of steak. and What are you doing look, to this beef? Just it died the for a reason, and you're wasting it. You're disrespecting the animal. Yeah, exactly. So, but I, I did most of what I did was uh, the early shift. So you do two meals that are less complicated. So longer hours, but it's less intense. It's a marathon. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so at the end of that, you know, like I wouldn't necessarily start drinking at three in the afternoon. But the, at night when you do the dinner shift, yeah, after that, you certainly have a drink and you kind of, you know, and this is something. It's quiet. Like yeah, you stay in the kitchen. Over. And then this is, this is, this was a, one of my funny things that I liked. I didn't like working the evenings much, but I did it. And sometimes you always get like regulars or whatever. They're trying to kind of introduce themselves. Like they want to come and chill with the staff okay. in the in the kitchen. And it's very territorial. Like, I mean, we barely we barely let the waiters come in and get the plates. It's like That's a faux pas, right? If you're a waiter to like... The, to to like linger in the kitchen, to, yeah. To fuck around in the... Well, it's it's so not so much of a faux pas as you're, you know, you're not going to be like... And, yeah, it may affect how quickly you get your plates, and then if if I give, <laughs> and if I don't give you your plates quick, you get shitty tips. So you better get the fuck out of my kitchen. Yeah, that sound familiar? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, so, so there's always there's a bit of a war that goes on between the front and the back. A bit, right? yeah, a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so this is like, yeah, I feel like this is engineering and like the the bridge crew, and like fucking yelling <laughs> kind of. at each other back and forth. Kind of. But you were so, saying, talk about the yeah, so people you, coming to hang out? You're there, because there's some people, like, there's some, like, friends of the staff. Right. Like, they'll come at the end because they know, but sometimes it's just, like, people that linger into your restaurant until, like, I don't know, like, 10.45. And they're just chilling. And, they're just, and they think they can, like, oh, chill with, I'm like, dude, you haven't paid 
your dues. Yeah. You haven't earned yours. Get the fuck out of the but, kitchen. But you've been sitting on that <laughs> yeah. coffee for two two hours. Exactly. Get, get out of here. Get <laughs> out of here. We're working but, here. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes you sometimes you, it's it's a weird thing because sometimes you have people like there's uh, one time where I wasn't there, but there was an, uh, the chef told me about a couple of nights before where it was oyster season and there's two guys that came in and just decided to have a oyster eating contest like all the oysters yes Ugh. bring me all the oysters you have and at the end of the day you know like this like sometimes they'll invite the chef at the table or something to have a drink with them you know that happens but it's it's usually the way around and yeah. i remember uh again i'm not going to name him but he hated when like he would the clients would thought they were important they would call the chef at the table to thank him for the meal and shit <laughs> they hate that because it's like it's like the equivalent of asking like you know when i don't know you like your nephew to in a christmas party okay so do that thing that you do right put on a little sailor suit exactly i feel like it's for it's even even worse stop me if i'm off here but i feel like it's like somebody coming in while you're fucking and be like can you come out and can you come out and take out the garbage you're like but i'm i'm fucking though yeah. i'm in the well, middle kind of, of i'm in the middle of kind this, of it's I'm also fucking. it's also like oh, i'm out of breath you're i'm i'm, this I'm is not li- pretty i'm a little angry <laughs> it's like if somebody come like if if you you're hosting someone in your in your home and you just cook them a meal and then they ask you to do a little dance yeah no my mother used to do this to me uh, my whole childhood <laughs> because she couldn't get over how smart i was and i'm not that smart uh, but God bless you her. You don't need to tell me. So she would, <laughs> she would parade me in front of like, do that little dance you do. Yeah, you know, like since I was the age of three, and yeah, and if you're a grown man working in a, yeah. in a restaurant, and then like these two assholes want yeah. you to come out and make them feel special, because it's not even about thanking you. They want everyone else to see them having the chef come to their table. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And exactly. And it's your it's house. About. Yeah. Right. That's exactly. Look, That's, I'm special. I'm special. I'm in with the chef, which begs the question. What what's that whole thing with the chef's table? Because I've heard of this as a concept in certain restaurants that sometimes there's a table wedged in the back in the kitchen, or near the kitchen, and people can get the special chef's table where they get to sit near the greatness, quote unquote, and watch the master. Well, I've work. never seen it. If it exists, if it's a thing, I've never seen. You've it. Never you've never seen this before. And I worked not in the greatest restaurants, but I've worked in some decent establishments, mm-hmm. and I've never seen that. Yeah, you wouldn't want that either. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a horrible idea. That's why I was like, what the fuck? Why would any chef agree to this? Mm. But there seems to be like, uh, there's this place on the plaza now that's really well regarded, um, run by a guy who used to work at Tucky. Uh, I don't know his name, but he apparently is one of Canada's best chefs. And they have kind of a separate table that's like a VIP table that where the chef kind of checks in and comes and says hi and stuff and it feels like a little vip section i don't, I don't know. know maybe call me old school but i don't like that bullshit you don't like that to okay. me it's it's a different like everybody's world. vip it, to me this is this is the equivalent of oh this is going to be a weird thing to say you know when you have your kid Okay, the meal is you presenting your child to the customer mm-hmm. you're not going to see how the fucking is done you don't get to see that. That's not your I hundred percent I understand like you don't 100%. know how your sausage is made, sort of thing. Exactly. Hundred yeah. percent like this yeah. is this and I that's one of the things I hated is that people that want to, you know, peer into the world back there is like, look, you sit there. If you wanted to cook, you would have stayed home. So you stay at your table. You've ordered this. I'll 
I'll get I'll it. Bring to the YouTube magic Google. to you. Yeah, but you but don't you get, don't to get see to see, see how it's yeah. done. This yeah. is not a TV show. Part of I'm my the, job in the front exactly. was to protect the back from the customers. Yeah, because they, they, they when they're trying to go through to the kitchen, you're like, no, 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 no. Is that was that a regular thing? Yeah. What is it with fucking people? Big shots. Big shots. People think that they're special. I know the the chef's name, so it's it's cool. Good for you. No, it's not cool. <laughs> it's not cool. What an interesting thing. Yeah. That, uh, yeah well, it's, it's this little, uh, it's little cabals. Like people like to think that they're special. They like to think that they're part of a certain world. It's like, a backstage thing. Yeah. yeah I want to be exactly. backstage. I want the, exactly. I, I've got the backstage pass. Uh, yeah. Because I, I spent enough money. In exactly. Space. And to me, it's like, no, you don't. Does the owner ever go like, sorry, Mr. Cubano or whatever spends a lot of money here. So you just fucking smile yes. and take it. And the chef. That's fine hate it of course if the owner does it that's up to him yeah up to him i've seen it and again the chef was not happy when it happened it it was a look of contempt (laughs) i learned what contempt was when i saw that so why did you get out may i ask like what 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 made you leave the service industry the first of all i lost the passion for it like at some point like the the um, the hours and the salary and effort didn't didn't add up. It didn't add up anymore. So I kind of dragged my feet into it for a while. And at some point, I remember I was, uh, it was between, between, like it was between breakfast and lunch. I was working the early shift. And uh, I was actually, for once, taking some time off just to, you know, I was just, in, you know, in the front, you know, joking around with the one of the waiter, waitress. There another guy from the kitchen and we just and then, you know, the owner comes in and starts giving me shit on why is it that I'm taking a break. And I would I've never for the whole time I worked there, never bothered him with the salary, never pissed him off with anything, never said a word, ever and then that day was kind it was kind of an unwritten rule. Like, I'm not gonna piss you off with raises and which is very like in the cooking industry they always like the owners always get pestered for more money yeah, by course. the staff but i was like just my dad always said uh you know la, la pièce à pay. you need to pay for peace so mm-hmm. to me my peace was like i'm not gonna piss you off with more cash but let me do my fucking thing right like you don't get to fuck you don't fuck with me when exactly. i just take so five. that yeah. day he forgot that unwritten rule and so i started arguing with him and in the middle of the argument weird thing happened i walked i turned around i walked to his office his own office and it was it was not a computer it was a uh, a typing a typewriter and i typed my letter of resignation <laughs> and then i brought it back and i said end of argument that's it and then he immediately changed he was like uh, he, like he understood he saw that i had lost a passion for it and uh so i just left it i just walked out and well not immediately i mean i see asked me like you put me in a bind can you stay two or three weeks and i said sure like he was it was not about him like it's just it was not the place it was not him it was overdue it was just i had promised myself i would change business and it was a straw that uh, broke the camel's back yeah weirdly enough exactly you never thought of running your own place having your own you have no idea how many times people told me that well first of all if you start in your own place, you got to think that for the first three years, you're going to be working six to seven hours a day, uh, six or seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day, just to get the place running. 
unless of course like and i'm talking about you know startups mm -hmm. if you got an established chain you can run a couple of places at the same time you already have your staff that you're trusting so you can send it like you can send a sous chef to as a satellite restaurant to the other one when you got the ball rolling yeah people don't work grassroots that way but if you're starting from scratch it's Hello. motherfucker yeah it's a way like you're most likely to fuck up your credit and your life and your yeah there's that whole thing every yeah. time i see it, it occur i think it's maybe because of the books i read and knowing you and hearing your stories and stuff over the years but every time i see like a dead on arrival you know what i mean a dead on arrival restaurant mm. like as they're putting up the sign you're like this place is doomed yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and you're like a little part of you weeps you're like that poor family yeah that's a bad call man like yeah. they're they never yes yeah. especially in this town when you it's like when you see it you see it you're like i can see this is a bad business already you mm. haven't even put up the 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 sign yet you yeah. haven't turned on the lights i can already tell this is a piece of shit uh and you've probably invested very heavily in this yeah I see it all the time, all the time. What makes people keep opening fucking restaurants is what because I don't know. Because of what I said earlier, people think it's easy money. Or, you know, when, uh, let me, people from here think it's easy money. People are deluded. And people from other countries think that this is essentially all I can do, which sometimes is true. And in that case, I have more leniency for them because they're just trying to get something started. But sometimes they don't know the ins and outs. And, but the thing is, is that depending on where they start their business, sometimes it's the way around. If you, if you, I don't know, if you're Pakistani and you start an like Indian style restaurant in the wrong neighborhood and you fuck up your arrival here in the country or your family's whatever savings they had, it's, it's really sad. But that doesn't mean that it never works. But you have to choose it like the, it's often people don't, understand that they need to look at what's around that place will yeah. people come look well, around if if okay oh oh this is the in downtown there's no indian restaurant there's a reason for that nobody wants to smell like curry doing the second half of their shift in the call center that's a good point people don't think about that it's like, a very fragrant yeah. type of food and nobody yeah. wants to it's bring heavy back. yeah you're gonna fall asleep on the phone so i mean if you but then again you got like some really really awesome restaurants in other places yeah. but then again you know that first of all the neighborhood is conducive of it so on and so forth so it's not just about there's no like there's again there's no indian restaurant in that part of downtown but there's a fucking reason for that maybe it's because there was before and it died it died a horrible death <laughs> yeah exactly i find like tapas is is every everybody's doing tapas now because it's like i feel like tapas represents that's that was a couple of years ago. It's no, kind but of it's over the hill now. It's still doing well. Me, I mean, I'm. This is just my limited perspective here, but it seems like tapas is a big deal, or tapas style serving is a big deal because it's it's kind of like perfect for the in uh, uh, indecisive kind of uh, just confused. Pe it's a con it's the perfect place for a confused <laughs> it is. person. You can hedge your bets. It's You'd be like uh, the shrimp, and I guess I'll have yeah. the. It's also extremely the... conducive to um, drinking at the same time, kind yes. of a bistro mm -hmm. type of thing. You're getting small meals over and over again. You don't need a bunch of like you, and those are not all of them. Some of them are actual restaurants where, but some of them are just like a little place where you, 
you essentially eat at the bar and I'm not shitting on the concept. I actually like tapas style, tapas style yeah. but there was a point where it was saturated. Now it's fallen back down. It's less popular than it used to be. And I think it's because people saw that it became, it, it's more expensive than you think. At yeah. The end of the they, day. they mm. yeah, yeah. They get your, they get that hundred dollars yeah. out of you exactly. six bucks at a time. Because exactly. That's <laughs> six, to, six to $9 an yeah. appetizer. But then if you eat six of it, and then in between those, you got cocktails and a wine. bottle of bottle of wine. Yeah. yeah, and I see people get walking right into that all the time. Yeah. And like, oh, it's just a middle. Oh, wow. They're taking advantage of the fact that people are bad at math. Yeah, yeah, and just want to have fun. At some point, people start learning. But the thing is, I'm yeah. okay with you charging whatever you feel that is necessary to be charged. There's cost that comes with it. We spoke about it earlier, but there, it, there's always trends, you know, that comes and goes, and the tapas trends here. Like, I'm I'm sorry, there's trends here because if you go to like Europe. Yeah, it's a whole other. From situation. experience, it's a this situation. If you want a great table, you find great tables. If you want a tapas place, you find you get that too here. But here, there's more of a. There's waves. Yeah. Yeah. Fusion food being the worst of ever. The fusion, I fucking hate fusion too, because <laughs> it's like I'm not like it's like burlesque. It's the worst of acting and the worst of nudity. You're going back to like one of our first episodes. That's right. Yeah. This is this is. Uh, I, I'm, I'm quoting my friend Steve. This, this nobody has no, ever described Danny. burlesque in a better way than this. I ha- you're but I have Danny. to. I have to. Sorry. You're quoting Danny. Am I quoting Danny? Yeah. Is Danny? Yeah. I think Danny put it that way. Yeah. I, that, that was the best. It was like yeah. He's like um, I'm gonna get shitty acting and <laughs> shitty nudity. <laughs> so I'm getting nothing that I want. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was on point. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was on point. Yeah. Yeah, that's what fusion food is for me. Um, okay. All right. Cool. I mean, enough about that. I'm just, I just really, really thought uh, that was... Uh, it fascinates me because there's a legend to the cooking world, yeah. but then it's, it's a lot of, the, of it It's one of those things. It's my... The closest thing I've spent to, like you said earlier, like it's the closest thing to a war that I went to. And as much as I'm happy that I'm out of that world, I'm also... So, so happy that I lived it, that mm-hmm. I did that, that I, you know, the limits of how much I can endure, how many hours of work. And now it gives you kind of that whenever you get a hard day at work. Now, if you think about how it used to be back then, like, eh, this, this, is, so nothing. this, is, mm. not this so is nothing. And, when I, and it's <laughs> even better when you get the kids like, oh, my God, this job is so hard. And you're like, you have <laughs> no you. idea. You, you don't know. know shit. Yeah, you don't <laughs> know shit, boy. I remember the first time I went and worked post restaurant in an office and i was like what you're gonna pay me this much to just sit here and do this little (laughs) (laughs) i know right i was in in shock i'm like oh this is the the, the lottery the job that i did after a couple of years after doing uh, quitting cooking and i had nothing to do that was the thing i wanted it to have nothing to do with cooking and i at some point ended up in a call center and people like you left like running a kitchen to work in a call center in a cubicle. Are you out of your mind? I'm like, no, are you out of your mind? Yeah. Do you know, I have any idea the quality of life that I have now. Oh, I remember yeah, sure. sitting in that cubicle, just grinning like an idiot. I'm like gr- this huge smile on my face. I'm like, Oh my mm-hmm. God, this is great. I don't have to wear this stupid outfit anymore. That's right. There's you- very little chance. I'm going to cut myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little chance almost no chance yeah. maybe Some a paper, paper cut exactly yeah. a paper cut yeah um, also found the hole and uh, also uh, the uh, ability to to uh, to deal with stress yes. I think I think you learned that very yes. well 
yeah. and the different types of stress, right? Like, like office jobs tend to uh, tend to like you have this like soul crushing stress that you bring home with you, whereas when you're at the restaurant, it's more like a, like a really short, yeah. very intense yeah, stress, it's, it's, and then it once it's done, it's done until the next rush. Yeah, it's the feeling of urgency, and I actually carry that in my current work in the sense that sometimes when stuff needs just to get done, I'll be the, I'm the one, I'm the guy who's antsy at meetings, or who's Burn always hole. like, <laughs> Sorry. yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. You did it when <laughs> no I, no worries. it's a thing. Yeah, and, uh, yeah initiated. so, so I'm, um, I'll be in a meeting and be like, why are we talking about talking about work? Like and this, of course, if you need to do some planning, obviously, but there's a there's it's almost. I remember there's a period of my life where I was in meetings. In every meetings, they would talk about how we had too many meetings, and I remember looking around like, is this the Twilight Zone? <laughs> that sounds like a like, Black Mirror episode. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, am I the only person here who hears? And everybody's like, <laughs> clapping away. I'm like. Are you guys just playing along because you want to keep your job? Am I the only one who realizes that it's the third meeting? They tell us that there's too many meetings. I think I think right. a lot of like I think the majority of people in meetings are just happy to not have because I think the thing about meetings is apart from the person conducting the meeting, everyone's like, no, I'm not accountable for this hour and a half right now. Yeah. Right. There's that, and also this like, is true unless you're accountable for other work that's waiting to be done, and then you're it's like, it's piling up at the, yeah, your desk like while you're away. My emails keeps coming in right now, and it's, it's stressing you. Out. Yeah, what were you gonna say, Richard? There's also this thing where something happens at work. There's a problem, and then you're accountable to fix that thing, and a meeting seems as though you're doing something. Yes, right? I've seen, but it's it's certain guys that are like that. Right. Like you get people that call in meetings just because it looks like work. Right. Or like you're, or, you're or responding it, to an emergency. It, it looks good on the action plan. Okay. Because we had a meeting about it. On the exactly. timeline is like, you know, exactly. you did the meeting. Exactly. And, you know, you do need to do some meetings, but, but not that many. meeting for a meeting's yeah. sake. Exactly. I, uh, it feels a lot like that. Yeah. One thing coming out of restaurants, too, is like when people get stressed out at work and they're like, why are you so calm? <laughs> It's <laughs> like the same shit. <laughs> you same haven't seen. Shit. You haven't seen anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you're 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 stressed out about the cover on your TPS reports. There's bigger problems. This is nothing. <laughs> the, the, this reminds me of nobody's uh, chasing you with a knife. <laughs> I was listening to Radio Lab about uh, they had this uh, whole special about Bernie Madoff and the inner workings of the whole Ponzi scheme, like the greatest crime ever. Right. And they were talking about the four or five times where they almost got caught that mm. nobody talked about. Everyone thought like, no, it accidentally happened at this time. But So they're talking about this one specific time where the uh, right-hand man to Madoff is being visited by the aud surprise auditor's <laughs> visit, right? right? So all these high-powered auditor guys are in the office. and But they, they're, they haven't caught wind of anything because Bernie Madoff's at this reputation at this point is like gold. He's the president of nasdaq or some shit like he's he's the he's a big time roller everyone's dying to get in a bed with him and one of the auditors like some junior asshole is just like oh yeah can we see your uh, trade report you know your uh, ps2 yeah you know if you don't mind and then the, the guy explaining this situation he's like that, that that report is a thing that any brokerage firm has like 
kicking around on the shelf. He's like, but we were a bullshit outfit. We never had one of those, right? So the 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 VP, the guy, like the right hand man of to the to Madoff, he's just just like, oh yeah 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 sure I'll yeah I'll, I'll get it Russ yeah, yeah I'll get it, I'll get it for you, and he gets on the phone with his team downstairs and he's like, hey guys can you bring up like the P2P uh, report, and the guys on the other line are like, um, you told us we didn't need one, like we that we didn't have. He's like, okay cool thanks ten minutes that's fine click. <laughs> so somebody realizes that now they need this fucking report right so vp guy goes back to the auditors and starts like you know soft shoeing them and like hey you know what i realized i didn't offer you guys any refreshments <laughs> right it starts like meanwhile several floors down <laughs> these guys are like like printing out papers right but now they have a problem right because they're photocopying this thing and what this report should look like is like it's been sitting on the shelf, right? So they like print it out. They put it in the freezer to cool it down, right? And now they're trying to cool it down because it's coming out of the photocopier, right? And then the guys are coming down to see it. But now it looks too new. So they start like playing football with it. Like they're <laughs> like, they're like, go long, you know? And they're like throwing it across the office and they're batting it and they're like dancing on top of it folding it like whatever and then he just handed it to the right on time right to the guy and the guy's like oh here it is and he's super cool under pressure right? and he's like yeah sorry uh we misplaced it and the auditors are like ah, everything seems fine here okay so i'll see you uh next year all right see you guys bye 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 thanks thanks and like everybody's like <gasps> <laughs> but we'd laugh because this is incredibly com comical but this is a brokerage firm that handled nine, ten, eleven billion dollars worth yeah. of investments and destroyed untold lives, mm -hmm. untold yeah. lives, right? But how this kind of fuckery is still possible, <laughs> and it's like it's made me fundamentally distrust any sort. Anytime I see something that's two together, mm. where everyone seems like the worker bees are all doing their jobs, I'm like. Mm. I'm sure there's some of this, some <laughs> bullshit going on somewhere, probably at the highest levels. Yeah. We're like, this is a, a priority two, two, five meeting, uh, only the top senior, senior managers required. And we certainly have the experience hmm. of having them being managers and going into meetings with upper management and seeing that the emperor had no clothes, essentially. Oh, yeah. Like a motherfucker. <laughs> like that we were holding the place together. Really? Yeah, yeah. With scotch tape. Okay. And the, the the power above was not only not doing it, but was criminally, criminally Shit. incompetent. You right. know, and proud of it. And proud of it. Yeah. Like like yeah. Like, <laughs> like believing. Uh, what's in um, Hitchhiker's Guide? Uh, the President Zafod Beeblebox, who's the President of the Galaxy, and is <laughs> just this narcissistic. That's not an accidental metaphor. That there seems to be like a thing, you mm -hmm. know, especially right now in the United States. Well, just like some people, uh, or uh, get away with looking professional. They're really good at looking yeah. professional. The same way that some people give amazing interviews. Yeah, some people, uh, some people buy more into that. Like some people are more impressionable. And again, not to toot my own horn, but I tend to try and have kind of a sixth sense about bullshitters like that. Sometimes I'll see people coming in and because I've seen people coming in the kitchen that just weren't cutting it and pretending they're all like. Like they got a great, great, they got a great yeah, presentation. They're gonna, and they're going to 
have so many good ideas for recipes and shit like that. But I've seen that in the corporate environment, people that get impressed by bullshitters. And it is, there's a sadness to it when you see a guy that's clearly full of shit and the people hiring, whatever, they don't smell it. They oh, don't yeah. see it. <laughs> the sad part about the corporate environment is yeah. that it, it sometimes takes longer to figure those, yeah. figure it out, right? Because it's all about the results, yeah. right? Like you can talk, talk the talk, but if you don't produce results, then... But you remember but, what I said about the dead on arrival restaurants? Yeah. Yeah. There's employees like that that come in, right? <laughs> yeah, and for sure. you're not privy to the hiring. You're just sort of as a there in a uh, sort of observation role and you're like you you listening to the person talk and you're like this is going to be a nightmare. It's going to take me forever to fire this guy. I know he's going to get fired. He's going to get fired. But this is I don't have time for this bullshit, <laughs> right? And the right. person's like, and I've worked with yeah. many blah 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 blah, and like the HR person's looking at you because they're just so happy that they found you someone. I've seen that so many times that dynamic. I know a company's off, not necessarily like I don't want to judge the whole company, but I've seen companies that I knew were off when the HR person had no fucking idea what the manager really wanted, <laughs> and we're like, see, he smells good. <laughs> I brought you one, well, I mean, right? And then the manager's like. This is not what I asked for. Mm. What is this? <laughs> this person doesn't do you have even his, know what we do. <laughs> his CV's tattooed on his back. <laughs> like, what did you bring me? What the fuck is this? Okay, all right, we'll call you back. We'll, we'll, we'll call you. We'll call you. Thank you for coming in. Uh, Manuel really liked you. You're like, really? He did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see the guy like fucking kicking his desk like in the other room. And, like, and, there's and, a disconnect. This is the part of the podcast where I can't talk about. Yeah, of course. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to. We didn't mention the reason you're actually sitting here today. And that's, I think that's a beautiful thing. It's like Wolverine's origin. We should have never revealed it. We shouldn't, we shouldn't talk about why you're actually sitting here except for the fact that I think you're an interesting guy and you have some cool to- stories to tell. Um, I feel like before we go, I do need to touch on this because I knew you two guys were going to hit it off on this score. It's like This guy uh, is a m- crazy Sam Harris like, mm. I'm not, I'm not going to call him a disciple. Would you, would you call yourself a disciple? Well, I mean, I'm sure that Sam Harris would disapprove of anybody calling him a disciple. <laughs> Very likely. But the, I'm a huge, huge fan of the, uh, the Four Horsemen of Atheism. Uh, Again, just, ironic as a name, yes. Yeah. Yes, so ironic that they didn't give to themselves. That of they course, just, they would never. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's interesting because we were always skeptics, but for you, it was a bit of a different story. Like, yes, you were always skeptical, but you started out as a person of faith, yeah, of faith, right? Absolutely. And at some point, this kind of material... Yeah, I don't know. I can briefly... Yeah, take us through it. I mean, you'll be back on the show, that's for sure. But you you take us through it. The, uh, yeah, the, uh, the thing that happened is that I was brought up Christian Catholic. I went to Catholic school. But I remember... This was a struggle. I still believe, like, I remember feeling bad when I would blaspheme and stuff like that. But then again, I would question, like, okay, so when did Jesus die again? And then they'd say he never died again. I'm like, so he's still around? And they're like, no, he ascended to heaven. I'm like, like a ghost? So he's not resurrected. He's just a ghost. Yeah. Because he's the Holy Spirit. And then the teacher, I remember that. I was, like, in teacher fourth was grade. Like, I don't and know she didn't know how to answer those questions. <laughs> and um, so it went like that for years. And... Like it kind of eroded throughout the years. I was becoming what I would refer to uh, spiritual non-religious, but I still believed in 
you know, a prime mover and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then when my son was born, I had a bit of a crisis of fate because I figured, well, okay, so if I'm wrong and I quit my fate and I go to hell, then it's my problem. But I don't want to do this to him. So, like, maybe I should get him baptized just to hedge my bet. But then I was like, well, if I'm doing this to hedge my bet, I need to look into the other religions. What do they do to... Who's got the best package? <laughs> or should I do the whole thing? Like, whatever, you know, all the three Abrahamic do, like, whatever Hindus do, so on and so forth. And in my quest of finding out the best protection yeah. from hell best for my son, yeah. I realized that this was complete bullshit. And then I became kind of a uh, militant atheist for a while. I still s sort of kind of am, but... Uh, that's what you get when you start religious and then you flip on the other side. You kind of weaponize yourself to some extent. Ironically, and, yeah. Yeah. And then it, it kind of led me to... Um, I've always hated things that made no sense. And the thing that makes me such an egregious atheist in that sense is the fact that I myself bought into the biggest... L That's the thing is that... You're a little pissed off. Yeah, I'm pissed off at myself because I hate bullshit. But the biggest bullshit in the world, I bought into it for all those years. Right. And I mean, it was fed to you since you were. Yeah, my parents were not aggressive born. Christians, but I was. It was still. It was taken as a. It was taken as a. I had as to a go given. to church yeah. and all that. Were so, you? Did you have to go to church? I went to elementary school, Catholic elementary school, so I had to go to church and do confession. Yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, at that time, but no. Aside from that, but I mean, even if it wasn't forced upon you, it was still treated as a given right like it was just like there's a reason we still say jesus christ when we're pissed off yeah my household was not very uh particularly religious okay. my dad's catholic my mom's protestant they're not they weren't allowed that was to not get the, together that was not a time. hot topic is yeah. what you're saying so they had kind of made the decision like okay we'll baptize him but we won't do anything else so i'm technically christian and then when i was 18 i was supposed to decide which one I wanted to be. You're like, none and, of the above. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much, yeah. It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, this seems like bullshit. And and being thrust into the Catholic school when I wasn't Catholic mm -hmm. and not able to participate, like forced to participate where I didn't want to participate and not being allowed to participate where I wanted to, yeah, that didn't help. Yeah. It seemed like bullshit. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, Harris is coming in, in September, July? Uh, in Toronto. is going to be there in... Um, September. September. Mid September. Is he pushing a book? What is he doing? Actually, he's just doing kind of a uh, uh, refresher. <laughs> essentially, I think that what he's doing right now is that he's trying to uh, start some sort of movement of like to just to get people to. Well, it's essentially, what he's been doing for a long time, but I think he's just trying to keep that ball rolling. He's uh, recently talked about how Peter Singer, who he's a big fan of, is uh, writing a new book. And from what Harris hinted, the book is about on how we need to get this new, like new renaissance going. Like the people that actually want to talk about real things, that care about empirical knowledge, through it over like facts over feelings, so on and so forth. And I think he's just trying to keep that ball rolling by doing a bunch of talks. He's starting to get more and more involved with the podcast because he figured out that's how he reached the most people. And it really boomed in the last six months. Has it? Oh, yeah. Because the, what happened? The Waking Up podcast. Yeah. yeah. Because 
what happened is that at some point he was talking about the uh, on how he doesn't like to do ads. He refused to do ads because the only ad that he had was Audible, which is the you know audiobook. Right. Because the only reason why he accepted Audible to sponsor his podcast because he actually uses it. Then he realized I don't even know if people should use that. Should they? So he decided to cut all sponsorship and said I'm going 100% with donation. And I was like, I'm down. So I started supporting him. Like on Patreon or? Uh, you can do it on Patreon. I support him directly through his website. And then he started talking about how many people, like the percentage of actual people. And he gave real numbers. What's the percentage of people that support me? And then it just snowballed when people realized the difference. He really like said, nobody can tell me what I can talk about because nobody's sponsoring me. It's mm -hmm. not a YouTube situation. And he's just starting taking off. And he's been at least, I would say, double the output of podcasts that he do now. Because he's completely free to talk about whatever well, he wants. A, to he's talk free about. to talk about what he wants. B, he's starting to get attention, so he's getting better guests. Three, he's making it profitable. He's talking about using that money to go meet the guests instead of Skyping over mm -hmm. with them. And those tours, I think he, he's going to, maybe he's going to record a podcast live, which he did when I met him in uh november in la that's what they did with richard dawkins they had two nights and he released those as podcasts after that yeah that was a funny thing you you, you went there with a friend and his friend your friend ended up showing up um so i told my buddy who got me into them when i started getting this whole crisis of fate episode he's the one you should look into christopher hitchens sam harris so on and so forth And uh, I told him last fall, I said, oh, by the way, Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins are having a talk in L.A. Like, haha, that's so awesome. He said, dude, we, we got to go. And I said, dude, I can't just ditch my family and go to L.A. for a couple of days to watch a talk. And he's like, I'll pay you the plane ticket. And shout out to Adam. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he... Um, he ended up falling ill just before the trip. So he couldn't make it. So I was alone in L.A., And so I, a bunch of time to myself. And the day that the talk was happening, it was at the Alex Theater. I think it's in Pasadena or something. And uh, I had nothing better to do. So I bought a book and I'm uh, first in line. Like I just show up there. It's a beautiful afternoon. I got a, like a Mickey of bourbon in my bag and I'm reading a Peter Singer book waiting to get in. And I'm like, I'm going to be first row. I'll be right there in front of them. And uh, as I'm standing there and people start to show up, There's a guy that walks up and he says, um, my friend was ill. The guy that was supposed to come with felt ill just like he hurt his back just before we got here. So I got an extra ticket with the VIP meet and greet before. It's worth two. He didn't have to tell me. I knew I tried to get one. It's $250 a ticket. And he says, I'll sell it to you for half of that $120. So I scrounged like I have like $85 US. And I'm like, I got 85 bucks, man. I couldn't have done that if Adam would have been with me because we only had one extra ticket. But then I was like, fuck it. So I threw everything I had. And the guy says, I can't take $85 for this ticket because I want you to have some money. So just give me $50. I want to go right now. So I give him 50 bucks. And from chilling on the street... Within seconds, I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to meet Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris. So we go there and there's massive security. I'm just 
foolishly bumbling over myself trying to like get everything out of the bag like you know i didn't know i was going to take a flight it was like airport security type situation mm. it was really weird because it's airport everybody's like in a nice suit and everything and they're su super nice to me so i get there and it's a cocktail and i'm surrounded by intellectual i'm wearing jeans and a t-shirt mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm there with the uh, Center for Inquiry, like uh, board of director where I'm talking to, like and th clearly these guys could think their way around me any day, but they made sure I wouldn't feel out of place. And at some point we're talking and I'm, my heart rate is jacked because I'm looking around like they're going to be somewhere at some point. I'm like, I need, you know what? It's bar open. I'm going to go nice glass of Chardonnay. I'm going to calm my nerves down. So I'm waiting at the bar waiting to get a glass of wine. And from peripheral on my left, I turn around and Richard Dawkins is standing right next to me, his hands in his pocket with this Oxford swagger <laughs> smirk in his face like, oh, yeah, <laughs> hello, hello. And I'm just, I just start bah, 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 starting to muster a sentence, try to explain to him what his work means to me and whatnot. And mind you, the reason why he started this was twofold. He had uh, fused his Richard Dawkins Foundation for Reason with the Center for Inquiry. They became just one charity now. So he was kind of doing this tour to do that. But at the same time, I had the feeling he was like, look, I, guys, I know I had a stroke in February, but I'm fine. And holy shit, is he fine. S like in his mid-70s, like, and I, I'm trying to jam a sentence and then... As I'm trying to explain to him that of all, the, you know, how I came to know him and stuff like that, he just noticed, and I'm holding it in my hand, I'm not showing it to him. He's like, that's, that's not one of my book, is it? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. Hey, you felt like an asshole. I'm holding a Peter Singer book in front of Richard Dawkins. <laughs> Fuck. And he's there with his, like he has a Sharpie in his hands. <laughs> I feel like a complete fucking fool. And so as I'm stuttering, trying to explain to him, I didn't know I was going to meet him. Something crazy happened. First of all, he realized I was intimidated. So he stopped picking on me immediately. And from my accent, he realized that I was French Canadian. And if I was French Canadian, I was Christian Catholic. And then he as, as soon like he, he extrapolated picked, like everything like just mm. in a half second while i was trying to talk and then he says because i i was trying to tell him the story about my son so on and so forth and then he picked up that guy's christian catholic so he said don't worry about the catholic and i didn't tell him he said don't worry about the catholic catholicism because if you re if you get uh if you get re uh baptized anglican you could dilute it <laughs> and as I'm trying to wrap my head around this whole thing, like this, this entire thing just lasted maybe a minute. I met him very briefly. And I, I didn't even remember to laugh. It was a funny joke, but I re didn't remember to laugh because all like, and then somebody took a picture of me and Richard Dawkins together. And, <laughs> you and had then, that look on your face. Yeah. Like. And essentially I have the picture, man. It's the, yeah. And you look like you're being arrested. <laughs> I got this weird, like, is this real life type of, yeah. And, and then he walks away and he's just mingling with people. And I'm like, oh my God, this was so nerve wracking and awesome at the same time. I Yet you've been in in hostile kitchen environments. Yes, this was, dude. Knives. I was, I, dude. I've very few time in my life was, I was so excited.
to meet them. And then I'm like, I still need to meet Sam Harris, which uh, is a super nice guy. I got to talk to him a little bit longer. I feel like longer. he's short. Is he short? He's short. It feels like he's yes. little. He's shorter than me. He's, he's not that tall. And uh, he's a super nice guy. Uh, there's a, somebody took a video of me talking to him. And uh, I have that on my desktop at all time. I watched it like six times. <laughs> I'm such a fanboy. But yeah, he's, you know, it's not an act. Like he's really, and you could tell I was nervous. Like, I mean, I watched the clip. Like he, you can tell Sam Harris knows I'm nervous. And he's just trying to be like friendly and everything. And he made a little joke when I told him about the story when, about how my son ended up being, because of them, the first person in my lineage who did not get baptized, who was not indoctrined into superstition. And then he started laughing and he said, oh, nice, but uh, apologies to grandma and grandpa, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he knew what <laughs> because, the deal was. Exactly, because he laughed and then he was like, wait, some people in your family don't think that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> but he was super, super nice. Well, in a way, he, he just... You were the you were exactly the type of person he's trying to reach, yeah. right? Like he meets one of us, he'll be like, "Well, thanks for coming, mm. but you kind of know what I'm talking about already, right?" Yeah, I'm, I'm preaching well, to the choir. <laughs> well, you, this guy over here, mm. he made the transition. I had something to do with that. Awesome. That's yeah. right. He converted you. Yeah, and they, they actually minutes after that, Richard Dawkins mentioned the fact that he had met people during that day, and he said, "You have no idea how good that feels when we hear that." Of course. Because to them, it's people walking away from bullshit and starting to think in terms of, you know, real things. And yeah. the uh, a lot of people ask me, like, did, well, like, you didn't feel like asking him, like, some sort of deeper question. Well, first of all, I was just trying to hang on for my dear life. Yeah, you weren't supposed to be there in the first place. Exactly. I had nothing prepared. So I said, the only thing I can tell them is how much their, you know, their work meant to me. I'm going to meet him again in, uh, in September, probably very briefly. But uh, you're ready this time. Yeah. But then again, what are you, you know, like, it's not like I'm going to chip, get like a dent in his Dunbar number. He's not going to start remembering sure. me. But I mean, I've had this attitude towards, I've always had this thing with celebrities where whenever I've met one and I've met an, in, I've, I've run into a inordinate amount of celebrities in my life. Accidentally. I just have a way of bumping into the people, you know, like I'll go to, I, you know the you know that place that's down the street from it's the biggest deal that that um uh, that uh grocery store gourmet place down the street on uh, maison neuve no oh, yeah yeah i forget what it's called right I, first time i bumped my like stuck my head in there and looked around like i came face to face with michael fassbender and i was just like Whoa. I just looked at him. I'm like, I just pointed at him. I didn't say anything. I just pointed at him and he just like nodded. <laughs> yeah. And I shook his hand. And, but even then when I saw him, I was like, I was like, dude, I, I think you do great work. And I got the feeling that that meant more to him than probably like a million, like, oh my God, I love you. Right. Because at the end of the day, we have to, if we get over the, the excitement of meeting someone who, whose books we read or someone who's like a fictional character in our world until we came face to face with them. We realized that they're just men. They're yeah. brilliant men. Yeah. They've had a huge impact on you. But if you can push that aside, like my only interest in meeting someone I'd admire would be to ask them a question that I would ask Richard. Right? Like if, if I felt like I did about Harris the way you did, fire in a hole, uh, I'd want to be like, dude, uh, you know, 
did you see the fight kind of thing? Like, I want to ask him about some, like, regular, like, what do you wonder, what do you struggle with? You've got all these answers to all these questions. What do you make of this? Like, what do you make of that? Or, uh, you know, because what we do is, like, we're like, well, I can't possibly challenge him on atheism or any neuroscience because he's, like, a chief in those arenas. Like, I feel like the greatest compliment, uh, this is, I'm going to bring, I'm bringing it home here. Uh, the greatest compliment you can pay to a person you admire is to treat him like a regular person. I agree. I feel like that's it. Because they get a trillion of the like, oh my God, can you sign my arm? I'll tattoo it. Oh my God, the book uh, in my back. Hey, my mother. And they start crying, right? So like the one person that looks you in the eye and be like, dude, you write some great shit. Thank you very much. It's made a huge impact on my life. Who do you like? you know, in baseball or you know, who do you like? I know you're into UFC. Who do you like for this fight? Or um, what keeps you up at night? Like you've got all this other stuff figured out. What is it that you're not sure about? You know, that kind of shit. Like I feel like that's an opportunity. And I feel like that's that's very important to, for people like that, especially that have a huge followings to help them stay human. Because yeah. they, they, that especially these guys, they're fighting days uh, like, like uh, a religious... Uh, admiration yeah. they're fighting idolization yeah, there's a reason why there's securities because there's people how okay can you talk about that very briefly like how much security are we talking about okay well when we walked into the theater there was a from what i saw there was four uh there's was four security guards and uh their metal detectors like the airport standard not the okay. little boop, boop yeah, thing, yeah like, the little yeah threshold you have to empty your pockets just like at the airport so that means there's like credible reason to do it well yeah i mean these guys are saying that muhammad was not a prophet yeah that alone that is, that alone is a threat in your life and the um when we got that like when i spoke to both of them they were always with two security guards walking around them and when they were giving the talk on the stage there was i noticed there was undercover it was the same guys but in plain clothes in the assistance like in the they're sitting in the crowd yeah like, in the crowd just okay. to make sure that you know nobody was gonna make a run for it kind yeah, of thing exactly and yeah. so there was yeah there was a and you can see it like on the if if you'd see the video of me and talking to samaras there's a guy there's a six foot three guy behind him never never ever takes his eyes off of me the whole time because i'm a twitchy guy with like big arms he doesn't know tattoos. what i'm gonna do and <laughs> tattoos and he doesn't know you know is the is you know what kind of fan I am, or whatever. If I'm yeah. crazy, or if whatever. at any point you, because those guys kind of like they'll snap on a dime, right? Mm. Be like, uh, yeah, yeah, rah! and they'll just like <laughs> pounce on the <laughs> fucking people, man. <laughs> I always think about that that bit with uh, with Christopher Hitchens when he's sitting, he's talking to that really sweet religious guy that he he respected. I forget his name. And then they go to crowd questions, and there's some guy with a like like a ponytail and glasses and. <laughs> Like once again, like like that restaurant that's opening that you know is dead. <laughs> the second they turn the camera on this yeah. guy, I know he's gonna be a truther. I know he's gonna be one of those like you know G G eight summit <laughs> protester types. Right. And he starts rambling madly. Yeah. And, and Hitchens figure him out. He in had a the half second. Half second. But th those are the best shutdowns. It's like I've got no time for you. Yeah. No. <laughs> Take no. Him out. Take Sorry, him out. sir. I will not waste yeah. my time. No. No. <laughs> yeah, well, it, I mean, <laughs> you never know when you're meeting the public, right? Like, you can be, one second, you can be just like, oh, I love your work. Uh, yeah. I'm all flustered meeting you and stuff. And it's because, like, 
I believe that if I kill you, I'm going to steal your power. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That same person (laughs) that just told you that you mean the world to them would be like, and no one can come between us and our love, and the only way we can be together is death. (laughs) I want your head for my mantle. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what will happen. If you deal in religion, you deal in anti-religion, you deal in high-powered things that motivate uh, nations, uh, you're going to, yeah, fuck. I would have like a... Uh, I would have like a Gaddafi style, mm-hmm. specifically because he had women. Yeah, ninjas. entourage of ninja women. Ninja women. Yeah, I think that was a good way to go. Uh, for whatever else he did wrong, he had uh, swag. Well, when this uh, podcast finally, uh, you know, breaks through, yeah, we'll have our ninja entourage. <laughs> ninja entourage. I want really. <laughs> I want like elite small people. Mm. That's my thing. I want to be like Mark Anthony in Rome. Okay. I want to have at minimum one really strong small person following me. What's with mm. you and lethal small persons? I think I think it may harken back <laughs> to my my young age. Apparently, that I knew a small person. Or when some I was weird corners of your mind. I, I just, don't know. I just think it's a it's a testament of your power if you have a hulking small person next to you. I don't know why. It's a weird thing. Mm. Just before That's my we, fetish. We, <laughs> just before we get into that, I wanted to. I wanted. Of all the things after the fact that I thought that it could say to either one of my heroes, the yeah. funniest thing I thought, because there's I know genuine questions that would have, you know, mattered to their, um, like they might to have, their fields uh-huh. or whatever, and you know some stuff that I'm I would be genuinely interested, in, not like some droning repetition of something they've answered before, but one of them was I want to tell Sam Harris a joke. Says you know Sam like you're. You're an intellectual, you're a doctorate in neuroscience. You also do martial arts. You're also a trained small arms marksman. Oh, that's right. He's a marksman. Yeah. And uh, so they should do like some sort of movie about you. Like you're some sort of like new renaissance, renaissance kind of man, yeah. James Bond thing. And the villain could be Reza Aslan and he could be played by Ben Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that would make him laugh. Of course that would. <laughs> Fucking Reza Aslan. Dude, did, uh, did his book come out yet? Uh, Islam and the Future of Tolerance? That came out a couple of years ago. I think that... It's Reza's book? No, it's, uh, it's Majid Nawaz and Sam Majid Harris's Nawaz. book. Okay. That came out a couple of years ago. I think... I haven't read them in chronological order, and I still am missing maybe two. I've actually... I've not read Future of Tolerance and uh, Letters to a Christian Nation yet. I've read all the other books. There's one of his books, actually, that I truly recommend. It's super digestible. It's called Lying. Lying? Lying. Mm -hmm. And he just makes a case for never lying. And it's a strong case. Why you should always say the truth. Always say the truth. And it's... That sounds like a good read. It's uh, like an hour and a half audiobook. That's like $4.99 on Audible. It's super digestible. I've listened to it twice already. It's super because Sam Harris writes in the keys. Like he doesn't, he's not an erudite. He likes conversations, so he writes in a way that are easy for people to uh, absorb. Yeah, he puts it in layman's terms. And this is just this really quick book that ever since I read it, every time because you have the minute you notice how often we bend the truth, we don't realize how often we do it. We just do it so casually, like and some often for no reason. No reason, or we think we're doing the right thing, or but he really makes a, a pain, case yeah. on you should think twice about lying. So ever since I read that book, and I read it recently, because uh, it was not one of his major books, was not a big release, it was just a small little, you know. 
and he likes to release small books because they're easy for people to to get and absorb mm -hmm. but his publishers don't like it because it's hard to make money on small books mm -hmm. so i truly recommend it because it's super easy and you get the feeling of what kind of guy he is my favorite sam harris book though is the actual waking up book it's his third book i believe and it is probably my favorite is the one that tackles meditation and it's a fascinating read i almost ran out of gas on the highway listening to that audiobook yeah that's how immersed you were yes okay and at some point a light was red like the on the it was oh, almost at empty. Dashboard. Yeah. yeah and uh so you know if people want to know that guy and you know take the second Look at the guy who people sometimes will say some alt-right. That's you know I love these guys where the right people on the right think that Sam Harris is a liberal, and yeah. people on the left think that he's a fucking alt-right. I nobody if, knows what anybody is exactly. If if people can't pin you down that well, I want to know about you. It's true, but I think it's also um, like the madness reaching a critical mass. Right, right. Like there, there's where we we created so many flavors that we can't, we don't know what the fuck we're doing anymore, and we're just going crazy, and we're just running around. I look at it. In it's much, reaching critical mass. I'm looking at it in a much more simpler way. I think it's just the new tribalism. I think that's what it is. I think that the digital age, people are like this is a conversation I've had before, and people ask me like, what happened? Like, why are all of a sudden we see all these crazy people? I'm like, we've idiots have been around since the dawn of time it's just that now they have high-speed internet <laughs> yeah. and they can like right. back in my day when there was a weird guy that could only lie like a, a mito man somebody who doesn't know how to tell the truth he's definitely has some brain defect i grew up with a guy like that went to high school with him yeah pathological liars we yeah. all knew it we all met him and they were isolated by lack of technology now they get to go in a forum and talk about flat earth and bullshit like that and you get to have a community of people and rally on together and get some sort of critical mass yeah. that people have to address like fucking people like neil degrasse tyson has to waste his fucking time telling people the earth is not fucking flat why are we having this fucking conversation yeah. well to begin yeah. with? gabriel garcia marquez i think uh, made this argument he's like the tragedy of 21st century is that for all its technological advances uh the internet has elevated the the pub drunk like the like literally the tavern drunk hmm. has given them the same platform platform that uh, a neuroscientist or yeah. a, a geologist or let's get away from like academia but like from people with accrued authority it's because uh, people weren't have. ready for that situation back in the early uh evolution we had our mode of communication was few to few it's just us talking together like we're doing right now with yeah. no microphone and then it was few to many radio television a few people controlled information and back then it was for the better or the worse like f it was bad because only a few people get to control the information for many but if we install some sort of fail safe we can actually count on the people well, few. at the very least at the very least, it's sustainable. Yes. Now we have many to many, and everybody thought that many to many would be the opening to this great freedom. Yeah, freedom, yeah. which they weren't wrong, but they didn't. It, they opened the gates of hell. Like at the same time, like everybody, everybody has a. This is what I tell people shouting at the at, internet at, at, gave at, everybody a voice without thinking if anybody had some interesting to say. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. And now, the, remember that point I made to you? Sorry to interrupt you. Finish oh, your point. Oh, no, no. Uh, the point I made to you the other day when we were talking at, at work where I said um, 
part I think part of the equation of this uh, everybody being offended about everything is I think is maybe the result of with advertisement oh that was a good point and media having become so targeted and so neat like how they come in and they target you based on all the choices that you make online and the basis on channels that you chose and the clothes you wear or whatever so like everything all this information becomes more and more selectively targeted to you but that's given people the the wrong impression the mistaken impression that all communications were meant for them and the minute that something is off in terms of the values or the direction it's coming from they it it sends them into a panic you're in in an echo chamber whether you tried to be in one or not yeah but the big the idea that like like everybody should be able to get their burger their way and everyone should be able to get their shoes and customize everything has given people the impression that now every time an intelligent person speaks or every time a, a communication is broadcast that it is meant for them and the mi- minute it's not they're outraged like the idea that this is not meant for you isn't people are don't want to accept that anymore that this meeting mm-hmm. about neuroscience or atheism or whatever you don't have to attend it like that doesn't compute they're like of course i should be attend to everything everything every communication every concert opinion about everything everything should be uh, should should apply to me and when it doesn't then they're like i'm being discriminated against i think that i mean there, there's there's definitely that's sort of the way that social media is put together right it's it's engineered to invite you to comment and to like and to interact and in fact, like everybody who's paying for your attention or creating content is measuring their success based on the level of yeah. interaction. Yeah. So, yes, I would I would agree that that is a thing. Um, another point that you had made at one point was that um, the kind of malaise that everybody feels is that they feel as though they need to have like a fully developed kind of political opinion on everything that on comes everything. up. In, like everything in the world. Yeah. Uh, I think that's true as well, but and you think it's a bad thing? Well, I don't. It's, I, don't I feel I like don't necessarily think. I mean, go no, ahead. No, go ahead. I, I don't. I don't necessarily think it's a it's a bad thing. I think it might be part of our evolution as a species. But um, the point I was it's tough. J- just to be clear on what he's talking about, uh, the the point I made was that I felt like a lot of the suffering and frustration that leads people to shit post and to say stupid things. Um, when in fact they should, they have the option not to even to get involved in a conversation, is that there's this pressure where people feel that they need to have an opinion on everything. Uh, Hugo, tremendous pleasure. Thank you for coming. It was my pleasure. I hope you Thank had a good time. And uh, fire in the hole, guys. Fire in the hole. <laughs>